0: Welcome, everyone, to April 27th, 1991, in the Legacy series. Today, we are doing Saturday night's main event and a wealth of bonus material that Ms. Fan has brought our way. This is going to be an interesting uh, conversation because the characters in the WWF have been let loose. The community is on the rise. Paul Bearer has moved his funeral parlor into the arena. It is some of the most interesting and fascinating stuff you will see, I think, in the history of the WWF, because we're talking about guys like Jake Roberts in prime form. We're talking about The Undertaker. I want to have this conversation as one of the most effective first years in the history of professional wrestling, because Paul Bearer and The Undertaker have changed the dynamic For guys that have been there six years, ten years, they have come in, moved in, set the pace, set the tone, and I've not seen much like it in my life. And I guess I had to know it at one time, but I forgot what they did in this first year, especially in a time where you don't just do this in your first year. We will also see that Hulk Hogan was not really included in any of the bonus material, and yet the Ultimate Warrior, now that he's not world champion, is sitting in the center of all of it. What is this curse on the heavyweight championship and the programs that you receive? We have a lot to talk about, so we will get into it immediately. Ladies and gentlemen, grab your shovels, because the unearthing continues. I am the Mystic, and I am joined by my friend... And co host by God, my learned colleague, he is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain.
1: Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome to the April edition of Saturday night's main event from 1991, plus the road to SummerSlam, which is one of the more storied roads that I think we will cover in all of WWF, the Legacy Series. Today we will talk about a lot of good matches, we'll talk about some bad matches, but most of all we are going to be talking about the absolute richness of this time. Everything that was not true in 1990 seems to be coming true in 1991. There are stories, there are characters, there are connections between those stories and those characters that you would never expect. Everything seems to be firing on all cylinders except perhaps the main event and we're gonna have a sign of a guy who's gonna ride in on a white horse or perhaps a gold belt and save that main event scene as well very very soon so we have a ton of stuff to cover it's gonna be a great great show i think this is one of the biggest bonus footage shows i've ever seen i've ever made so it's gonna be great we're gonna get right into it let's do it my friend
0: Thought that I had on my way to the laptop this morning Mm. um, is the Ultimate Warrior, Jake Roberts, Undertaker angle. It almost feels like the worse the Ultimate Warrior is at knowing anything about wrestling or his character or anything, the better the storyline is.
1: That's um that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, I don't know what it is exactly, but yeah, after being so useless, um, all this time, now suddenly, yeah, this this Savage uh, Warrior match we praised it at WrestleMania. Now we have this storyline that we're gonna praise as well, and uh, I don't know. Like Ultimate Warrior will spend a lot of these vignettes we're gonna look at. Um, acting like he's not even a human being like he'll be he'll be grunting and then and, and moving around like he was an animal but even so, something about it it just works you know and it's not I won't say it's in spite of warrior it works with warrior somehow so I don't know somehow it does all work out here kind of at the tail end of of everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he has this deer in the headlights look, sometimes when he's supposed to. And I think sometimes when he's not supposed to. (laughs) uh, But that's what in part makes it work, because what should be the look on your face? What should be your mental state when your options in life are Paul Bearer and The Undertaker trying to put you in a casket on one side and Jake Roberts trying to help you on the other? I was thinking like Hulk Hogan has to be jealous. And then I was thinking, what if Hulk Hogan was in this? And then I was thinking there would be way too much verbalizing from Hogan, way too much personality. Mm. Like, I like the fact that we we can't hear the baby face through most of this. Like, the baby face is, is far, far away. And I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it when we get there. But I would like to have that conversation because, as you said, Ultimate Warrior whether it's of his work or not, you know, he's had the WrestleMania 7, he's had this, um, and Hulk Hogan, I don't know what Hulk Hogan's doing right now, because isn't Ultimate Warrior also in the same program that Hogan's in for WrestleMania, or for SummerSlam?
1: Yeah, I mean, Ultimate Warrior will be at SummerSlam as his tag team partner, the match made in hell, uh, so that that's going to be part of that, and we'll see a little hint of that as we go to Saturday Night's Might event, but yeah, mostly he's occupied with the storyline with the undertaker with jake roberts with everybody being involved here this thing which is going to draw in randy savage as well and just make all these connections through the wwf
0: okay so we'll get into it we got so we really do have so much um were you able to sleep at night knowing that you gave us this much material but you did not give us uh the wwf debut of sid justice
1: uh yeah i was able to sleep (laughs) real well uh i didn't even give it a second thought it actually slipped my mind, till so you said it right now, that Sid Justice will show up here. I'll tell you, we didn't watch it. What is it? He shows up. Oh, is he a face or a heel? We don't know. He's going to referee the main event of SummerSlam for some reason. So that's the whole story right there. There's nothing more to it. So I've saved you some time for some better things that we can look at.
0: He also spits a great amount of spit in the face of one of Slaughter's, and I can't remember who it was, as he walked one by one to them, letting them know that he is nobody's person.
1: So. <laughs> that I did not remember, so thank you for that. Uh, Expect the rating is a big part of wrestling, as we all know.
2: Yes. So we're
0: going to get right into it. We'll go ahead and do Saturday night's main event, and I, I don't want to say get it out of the way because there are some positive things here, but we do have a lot to do to get from here to that SummerSlam, and as Ms. Van said, it is one of the most storied roads to a pay-per-view that we will cover, Uh, so we'll get right into it with uh, Vince McMahon and the Macho Man Randy Savage calling the night.
1: Yes, they are on commentary, they greet us in front of the uh, little green screen that they have started using, and um, usually I can't tell, I felt like I could tell this time, I don't know what it is exactly, but yes, we have Vincent Savage, Savage, Savage will shock me more than anyone on this show that we're going to talk about, because uh, I knew most of this stuff coming in, but for some reason I did not remember that Randy Savage will be a full-blown heel on Saturday Night's main event, so maybe did not learn as much At WrestleMania as we thought maybe he did.
0: Yeah, this was a very confusing. I don't want to say I did not enjoy Savage uh, throughout the series of things we're going to talk about, but it wasn't as high as I hoped it would be because it is confusing because we are moving into this whole Randy Savage Elizabeth deal. And at first I thought, well, he's going to be a baby face, but he's still a little bit. Uh, If the own warrior, because he will continually say warrior reminds him of his retirement, but no, he's a full-blown heel saluting Sergeant Slaughter and wanting to, I guess, to take over uh, to come back into motion. So um, Randy Savage is very interesting. To me, if you're Jesse, the body of interior, I don't know if he watched any WWF after he left, but I don't know if I've ever seen anyone, main event scene, tag team scene, announcers like shake up their division more and worse than what they have scrambled at in the aftermath of Jesse Ventura. Oh yeah.
1: He's been uh, definitely irreplaceable in terms of, uh, I mean, they're just not using, they've got Bobby Hewitt right there. They're using him for a lot of shows, but when they don't use him, yeah, they keep looking for a wrestler who's going to sit in that role. They're trying Piper Savage, you know, they'll try others. They'll try Mr. Perfect. And you know, all of them will have, their moments i think but none of them certainly will come close to jesse ventura and this is man i'm trying to imagine jesse ventura calling this angle and i don't think anyone can call the sergeant slaughter angle that well but god like certainly he would have added the nuance to it at least he would have been like well he's free to say these things because it's america instead of just like yes i love iraq and i hate america now for some reason you know so it would have at least had some nuance
0: to it yeah and a little bit of nuance is is well needed um especially i don't understand why vince mcmahon has to continually announce with a former wrestler i don't know if that's more because jesse was a former wrestler or it's vince gotta be.
2: yeah
0: i don't know what he imagines himself as I w- We will definitely talk about vince because we did some more primetime wrestling in the bonus so we got more of Vince McMahon as a personality yes. and this really does feel more like a private business than a public one Like especially when we watch the bachelor's part the bachelor party at the end it <laughs> it is unbelievably small and I don't mean that in a negative way but like it really feels like you're watching someone with a startup business uh, who has like 15 employees and they're all <laughs> coming in for something
1: <laughs> oh gosh um, but yes, for better or worse, we do have Savage on commentary, and, uh, the first thing he's gonna do is, in advance of our opening match, which is Slaughter versus Warrior, he is gonna interview Slaughter and his crew, um, I, I don't know what Slaughter said here, honestly, oh, I, I do, he, he threw fire on Hogan, we see a clip of that, Hogan will have a little bandage by his face, cause I guess he recovered from that already, but, uh, yeah, yeah, Slaughter's ready for this match that's coming up, mm.
0: This is, again, the curse, though, of being world champion, because with what Warrior's going to be doing shortly, your feud is with someone who you've already defeated, but they threw fire in your face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's baffling that this continues on, because as we mentioned, even at WrestleMania, the conflict was already over. It did not draw the way they wanted it to. They had to downgrade their facility, and... Yeah, it's just it's going to drag on and on. We're not going to cover it much because it's not interesting. There are no twists and turns in this road. The big twist in this is now the Iron Sheik is here. We're calling him a different name. That's the biggest piece of storyline in the whole freaking March to August, 5-month period we're going to cover here. So that that's not great.
0: No, this this is not even worth covering, even in the con- in in the interview. So I can't remember who's the slime and who's the puke, but he addresses Warrior and Hogan. I think in it.
1: Oh, he does. He does. Uh, more interestingly, we are going to touch on something that we're going to talk about a little bit more later. Uh, Gene Okerlund will talk to the Ultimate Warrior. We will see that clip of him being trapped in a casket. Warrior tells us uh, he had to learn how to live in a normal light. And he flails around so much that he will knock Gene Okerlund's microphone out of his hands.
0: Yeah, I made the comment that I think the Ultimate Warrior or the Undertaker would have retired Warrior even if Warrior had not left the WWF.
1: <laughs> that's a nice thought. I don't know if that's true, but uh, there's certainly something that uh, feels like it should have happened.
0: I think they got. The, I think they got his number. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He definitely will react differently to them than to anyone else, and I will have some praise for that later on as we go along here.
0: Yeah, same, because, too, when you make someone so uh, uh, so dominant in the ring, you really got to take it somewhere else, I think, to get the best of them.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, so we got Sergeant Slaughter and Ultimate Warrior promos to start, and then, that's not enough for you, uh, we got a matchup between them as well, so this is a return match, folks, from Royal Rumble 1990.
1: Yes, yes, Warrior and Savage uh, going at, or Warrior and Slaughter going at it again. Um, this time, I don't think Savage will uh, explode out of the darkness to beat up the Warrior. He's on commentary. And uh, I'll say here and through the night, I I never felt like he was doing a bad job. I just, A, wish he was wrestling still, and B, wish that he was also showing more nuance because he had this great redemptive moment at WrestleMania, and yet here he is, you know, kind of as nasty as he ever was as the Macho King. And uh, it's strange because we're going to watch clips on primetime very close to WrestleMania where he will be, like, making up with Liz and, like, slow dancing with her later on excuse me he's going to uh you know propose and do all these things so you know you'd think he'd be on that path but here he is and uh he's not on that path at all so here we are yeah
0: i didn't greatly enjoy i I didn't enjoy the fact that he was still a heel uh and also every story that he tells it seems like has to come back to a storyline he's had with the person and maybe that's just because you're just starting out but you can't like that's not what you're doing now so again it's a different genre, and I don't know that he fully uh, has the genre mastered, but, yeah, he's on Saturday Night's main event, you know, doing the call.
1: Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, I think it's got to be at least to some extent just what you said. They thought, well, we need a a Ventura type, and they weren't thinking a lot farther than that. So, hey, go out there and be heelish like Jesse Ventura. Mm. Yeah, you can do better. You know, let's not just do that just because.
0: Yeah, we're also in the end days, I think, of Saturday Night's Main Events, so...
1: I was looking, we only have two more Saturday Night's Main Events after this one, which makes me sad, because these have been easily some of the best uh, episodes that we've done, so... That's a shame, but, um, you know, interest is waning, sadly.
0: Yeah, WWF is in a weird period of time, so, you know... There's there's so all there's all these hints of what used to be. There's what is coming. There is what is right now. So Vince trying to move through all those things. Um, I really thought at first I was like, well, Warrior gets his win back, but then I realized, oh, they're going to SummerSlam. So I was like, DQ or count out is my first note. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, no kidding. Yeah, for this match, they definitely talked about that it would be important, and yet it will not be treated as important in the end. Um, I guess that's uh, not unusual for this kind of thing, but uh, definitely the most interesting thing to me in this match is partway through the match, Paul Bearer will uh, wheel a casket out that has uh, the warrior symbols on it. It's the same one we saw in that clip. They that got locked in before uh, Vince McMahon tells us what Warrior is supposed to be feeling when he sees this casket, and then uh, who should sit up out of it but The Undertaker and what will become a familiar sight to wrestling fans as the years go by.
0: Yeah, that is a glorious moment in this show. Paul bear scooting down the ringside with that casket. Uh, these guys, like I said, they, they didn't just come to the, w, the WWF. They brought an entire world, an entire lore with them, and – I think they might be more dangerous here than even some of the times ahead simply because nobody has seen them do these things. Mm. Like, you, it's not like, oh, this is year seven, angle 21 of targeting someone with a casket. Yeah, This is early on. A professional wrestler who appeared half a year ago is coming at Ultimate Warrior to put him in a casket to murder him, to take him away, and make him no more.
2: Mm.
0: It's unprecedented. Yeah.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, we've watched all through WWF, and we certainly have not seen anything like this. I can't imagine there was something quite like this going on in any other promotion. Um, I don't know. As always with Undertaker, you look at this, and you have to imagine it's possible that this could have flopped on his face, and yet it works so well uh, this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Saturday's main event. The match stinks, and it's about to be over anyway. Uh, but this this whole thing that happens after the match, I am very into this, and uh, I have some very good things to say about it.
0: I agree completely. It's it's so fresh, and so you got a guy who's been there again six months breaking up this thing that shouldn't even be going on, and you know, God bless them for it. <laughs>
1: absolutely and certainly he shouldn't be the one breaking it up because yeah he's this uh, unknown who came in out of nowhere and uh has this weird gimmick and yet and yet clearly they know they have something in him because yeah he's getting elevated into this conversation so uh um mm-hmm. we do get that uh, disqualification that you so rightly predicted as Slaughter's guys just attack the Warrior. And the Warrior is just looking at the casket when they do it, so I guess it's not really important to win this match. Just get DQ'd, doesn't matter, whatever. But then we get into the good stuff, because Hulk Hogan will run down uh, as they are attacking the Ultimate Warrior to get at uh, his enemy, Sergeant Slaughter. Taker is there as well. And this this is the thing, because Hogan will hit Undertaker with that championship belt, And The Undertaker will no-sell it. And here's where I really got to praise them. It would have been so easy, like so many other guys, to just have Hogan or Warrior or someone come out there and just clown him immediately and just uh, make him into nobody. And yet, they will set it up that he will be in the ring with two of the biggest guys in all of wrestling history, really. And he will be invincible to them at times. And it's just played off so well I don't know. They, they had some right idea, and they really invested in Undertaker, and look how well it paid off.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, shout out to Vince McMahon, number one, for hiring the guy who will be Paul Bearer based on the fact that he understands that business because we're going to see that pay off before this show is even over. Oh, yeah. Uh, the vision that they had, like uh, you said, to push them to let him stand. Zeus, this is not. <laughs> this is trouble. For the Ultimate Warrior and his trouble for Hulk Hogan and I would even say despite the fact the Ultimate Warrior is going to be put in a casket he's going to be in a pit of snakes it is Hulk Hogan who does not yet know the depth and the nail in his own ca- casket in his own career that is coming because I seriously doubt that they know at this time that the man he hit with that belt who knows sold that is going to take that title Mm,
1: I can't imagine, but I really, really have to praise that moment because Hogan attacking a guy, and not just attacking, but hitting with a weapon, no less, hitting with that belt. Like, that, Andre would have sold more than they had Taker selling here. You know, nobody would have been allowed to no-sell it this much. I was honestly shocked when it happened, even 30 years later. Uh, It's crazy, because I was going to compare Undertaker... The Ultimate Warrior, because they brought in a guy who was kind of an unknown. They gave him a huge push, and it worked out. It actually worked out better in this instance than it did with Warrior. But you brought up Zeus, and that's an even better comparison because really it's the same gimmick. He's a guy who like can't feel pain, but Undertaker is not like some weird actor who can't wrestle. He's like uh, an, a mystery, like an undead guy who is just invincible and terrifying. And, I don't know, It just everything, the, the planets aligned, everything worked out, Undertaker is here, and he's already got this great role, and I'm just, I'm so into this guy, you know, Undertaker has always been, maybe not my number one favorite, but one of my favorites, and he's he's showing me why again, so early in his career.
0: I, I can't believe Hogan know. let it go on, because yeah, not right? only does Hogan hit this new, fresh talent with a belt, and he no-sells it, but then... The camera gets to focus on the ring, on the warrior, on the casket, on Paul Bear and Undertaker while Hulk Hogan runs off with Sergeant Slaughter and his men.
1: (laughs) Hulk Hogan asleep at the wheel here or something. You know, he'll try to make up for lost time. As you have said at Survivor Series with the alleged story he will go backstage and uh, badmouth the Undertaker. But, uh, you know, Um, here's what I'm wondering. Why could we not get... Warrior and Hogan against Slaughter and Undertaker at SummerSlam instead of the lame handicap match with two guys who, like, can't even wrestle hardly. Like, maybe it would have been bad because maybe Undertaker would have had to take the pin or something, and I wouldn't have wanted that. But, man, if you can get around that, you can just pin Slaughter. I feel like that's a much better match than the one we're going to get.
0: It would definitely be better and more important, but I think probably rightfully Paul Bearer pulled him out of that. That's not the route we're going. <laughs>
1: Good managing on the part of Paul Bear. You yes. said it, praise for bringing in Paul Bear because the second he walks out, I think he pays for himself because he's got the voice and the weird way he holds his head and the weird way he looks. Every second Paul Bear is on screen, I am like glued to what's happening because he is just so great. I love Paul Bear as well.
0: Paul Bear walks in on day one and can stand up there with Bobby Heenan, with mm. Jake Roberts, with you know any like this is one of the best times in wrestling history as far as characters as far as personalities and Paul Bearer is right there among them i could not we could be here all day if this becomes a praise paul bearer because <laughs> undertaker's good and it's going to be partly his skill that's going to like make it last that long but none of this matters like the way we're talking about it if we don't have paul bearer to create this world with the funeral parlor segments
1: oh it's so important i mean we covered mean mark in wcw and like he had his moments but he was never a guy like you wouldn't look at him necessarily and be like oh yeah he'll be like an iconic name for 30 years you know like you wouldn't necessarily think that um but uh yeah the whole package just works so well paul bearer is a huge part of it because undertaker he does well in all these segments we're going to praise him but he, he'll take some years to, like, really develop the skills that he becomes known for. Like, a lot of people put it um, even five years out when he's fighting McFoley, Foley when people will notice, hey, like, he's good in the ring, too. You know, like, he finally kind of got there. So I don't know if I agree with that or not, but that is the perception of a lot of people. He had a lot of help, I think, getting up to that point. And uh, he did the work, too. But, man, it's really a whole package, and Paul Bear is a huge part of it.
0: I will say just from childhood that that is not an accurate statement. Okay. Uh, okay. Fair. Because even with Yokozuna, I think he gets more out of Yokozuna, especially, and I hate to say this, because I, I like Luger and uh, Yoko at SummerSlam, but I think he gets more out of Yoko than Luger did. And it's, I think what he had to overcome in the first couple of years, and God bless him to be able to, was the fact that part of the Undertaker gimmick at the beginning, especially is that he's supposed to move Really, really slow all the time, and you can't do that for a career and make it work, especially as a baby face.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But he definitely has, I think he gets better as it goes. But I would be, he also doesn't have any opponents worth having, <laughs> you know. That he will tell you that all day. Like, he is very upset when he gets, I think, Giant Gonzalez and then King Kong Bundy. Uh, they're not back to back years, but I think it's one year between them, yeah. I'll so be, man. You know, I think he begged for a uh, Yokozuna program.
1: <laughs> I can't blame him for that. All right, that's an interesting perspective. We'll be keeping a close eye on The Undertaker for a long time, so we will be able to judge for ourselves with fresh eyes as we continue along here.
0: Who does he wrestle, though? Like, he wrestles Giant Gonzalez. He wrestles uh, King Cotton Bunny. He wrestles The Undertaker and Undertaker versus Undertaker. So I don't think they wanted him to be a... a what he becomes in a way <laughs>
1: i mean uh it probably didn't even occur to them maybe because yeah you've got this big impressive guy and definitely there was a focus on putting him against like all the other monsters for a long time and uh i love monstrous wrestlers but they're often not uh athletic specimens or anything so yeah there will come a time where he's wrestling more fully Shawn michaels Uh, Bret Hart you know and wowing with these guys but yeah there will be times when he is nowhere near that level of wrestler and he just has to make do with who he's got
0: yeah man I'm I'm looking forward to it like I said I respected him from day one but I never paid close attention to him so this will be fun to go through
1: very fun I'm, I'm looking forward to it
0: okay let's Let's get on with this tag team stuff we
1: got going on. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of fun, there's none to be had here, uh, unless you have a very different mindset than us. Uh, Our next match is uh, the Nasty Boys taking on the Bushwhackers. Um, Before the match, Okerlund talks to Jimmy Hart and the Nasty Boys. They say they are nasty but not disgusting. I beg to differ. Piper talks to the Bushwhackers, and they lick him. And they want to be nasty. Why does everyone want to be nasty? I have no idea, but everyone wants to be nasty today.
0: I think we've already heard every nasty boy pro- uh, promo we're gonna hear for their entirety. They're as nasty as they want to be. Um, oh other things. My. This is such, such garbage and so insulting for a WWF The Legacy series that once covered the Brainbusters as the tag team champions. But here we go
1: yeah i mean (laughs) i have nothing to say about this savage tells us we should be glad this is not smell-o-vision so that's um a wise comment on (laughs) savage's part uh i refuse to take any more notes on this because it was exactly as bad as you would expect it to be on paper if you're a fan of these two teams good for you you get joy out of a part of life that i don't because i don't like anything about this
0: (laughs) yeah i didn't take notes either so (laughs) there we go
1: moving (laughs) along the nasty boys are still champions but hopefully i think that is going to be short-lived so that's something for us at least
0: yeah gene oakland is with the undertaker and paul bear
1: yes they're back already which is great so uh paul bear is doing his thing he's awesome he's creepy he's nightmarish i'll say it again he looks like some demon took a lazy stab at what a human being should look like and came up with this monstrosity uh, it's a cold, cruel world, and The Undertaker is going to make the warrior rest in peace.
0: Yeah, and this is the good stuff. Um, Paul Bear, Undertaker. Again, this is another thing. I don't know how to – I'm going to say it a hundred different ways, but even Gene Oakland having to be there with them, like Gene Oakland doesn't change them. They change the dynamic. So how many people can walk into the world that has been created from 85 till now? And pretty much switch up every scene and every person around you.
1: It's really incredible. I'm before we kind of got into this year. Um, I uh, I saw a comment from somebody who knows wrestling very well. Said 1991 is uh, maybe his favorite year, the WWF. And I I was a little like, well, you know, later in the year maybe, but uh, I you know I I was proved wrong I think, cause even before. Uh, main event aside, we are really getting just such a richness here out of these guys, and um, it's really proving out to be, I think, one of the best years we've covered bar none. It is up there with 1987, if not above it even. So there, there is a tremendous amount of just great stuff, attention to detail, richness of character, and just the fabric of it is just so rewarding to go through here.
0: I don't know if we'll ever know whether... They did it on purpose or stumbled into it because, as clearly as they weren't like this, now they are. It's like that. It's like night and day difference. Yeah. But then it could switch off as fast as it switches on, and I, I just never get any indication in history. But this year is as different as it is. Like yeah. I thought, like there needs to be greater conversation on that because something happened for like a calendar year that is just out of pocket with everything before and after.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Suddenly we get totally diverged from the path of uh, Zeus and and all that crap that was happening, and we go back into what the world would have looked like if we had continued down kind of the better path that we've talked about. So I don't know what the difference is. I don't know what flips the switch. I do know, as I was looking through kind of my old notes for this period, that uh, I think uh, the word steroids will be used for the first time when Vince McMahon does a little special blurb about how they don't use steroids um so wow. <laughs> that's definitely going to bring us down in time but yeah we are already feeling the first rumblings of that
0: if you take out the undertaker and paul Bearer, how much of this do you have
1: oh man that's a great question i think you still have a lot because as we will see I think the real linchpin to a lot of this is going to be Jake Roberts Like he will be front and center at the majority of this but man Undertaker he's an important piece too he's kind of kickstarted some of this stuff so I don't know I mean, I, it's definitely not quite the same
0: because to me and I, I think we might disagree on this and that's fine but I'm not feeling Jake Roberts uh, earthquake like I'm feeling Jake Roberts and Ultimate Warrior
1: Oh, I mean, certainly we'll agree on that. I, I will have some good things to say about Jake Roberts' earthquake, but uh, certainly his, his masterpiece is going to be this warrior kind of, um, storyline that he's going to get into.
0: I don't know if you get this without the Paul Bearer Undertaker because the whole thing is a journey. Mm. That ultimate, And, I mean, we cannot, I guess we'll get to it when we get there, but you cannot overemphasize ultimate warrior feeling the need to relent his control and let another man guide him
1: Hmm. that's a great point i mean certainly it couldn't have worked if warrior was shooting with earthquake or something what do you jake Roberts, teach me the ways of a fat guy who shakes the ground you know it doesn't work the same so i get you for sure
0: let him splash you go to the hospital come back and beat him
1: (laughs) (laughs) or just stand up hulk hogan did it you can do it too so it's fine
0: Okay, so we got a lot. We got to keep going. We got yep. a big, I think, 20-man battle royal coming up.
1: Uh, and Here's my favorite part. I think it's Saturday Night's events, event. Certainly favorite in the ring part. Uh, Arprov, I think, has cited this as a touchstone of his childhood uh, mm. fandom. One of those events you have on tape and you watch over and over again And Met. If I was a kid... And I, I had only one Battle Royale to watch again and again. This would be high on the list because I, I have a lot of fun with this one. I have a lot of good things to say about it.
0: Yeah, we are going to get the reminder that while we are switching gears this week to the story and characters, the Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfects and uh, the coming IC title picture and present IC title pictures alive and well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, as the tag division falls apart, the Intercontinental title division. Uh, is is shooting up the ranks again. So that's something to comfort us a little bit here. Uh, Before the match, Gene Okerlund talks to the Earthquake. We do see a brief clip of a segment we will talk about a bit more later where uh, Earthquake will crush Damien. Earthquake has no sympathy for Jake, and he hates pets of all kind. (laughs) (laughs) Very (laughs) evil thing to do, so that's Earthquake for you.
0: I have nothing against Earthquake as a human being, but for it's okay to disagree. I don't know if we know that anymore, but I respect everyone who's like, man, you got to pay closer attention to earth. But well, I pretty much have. And like, you know, he's whatever (laughs) for me.
1: Yeah, we tried. I think uh, he has his moments, but he has never jumped out at me the way he has for some people. So, uh, yeah, we, we gave it a shot. I don't think it's going to turn around at this point, but we will, we will keep watching. We will see what happens. Um, We have uh, Randy Savage talking to Jake Roberts, which I find to be portentous, because we're going to have huge conversations about them as we move forward. Uh, Savage wonders if Jake lost the soul of his being when Damien was crushed, and I wonder if that maybe is true as we go along. But uh, Jake says Savage does not have the capacity to understand what he has lost, He cuts a great promo about it. He sells it very well. And he reveals he has a new snake by the name of Lucifer, who we will meet very shortly.
0: Yeah, that quick, uh, you don't have the capacity to understand, makes me think Randy Savage hit home.
1: (laughs) I think so. Every time these two guys are around each other, it's sort of like, Uh, raises the flag in my mind, because these two are going to have one of the hottest, most interesting feuds of all time, and it is very close now. So every time they're in the vicinity of each other, I'm like on high alert, watching for what happens between them. So yeah, there's there's a conflict already kind of brewing out here.
0: Yeah, I think their embedded personalities understand that they can't just be in a room together, whether there was ever going to be a program or not.
1: Oh, indeed. Yeah. If these guys had never feuded, it would only be because they were never in a room long enough together because uh, one is fire and one is ice, I think. And uh, you just can't have them together there. It's just not going to work out.
0: Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. So things are on the move. Uh, I will say for Earthquake real quick, like if Nasty Boys and Sergeant Slaughter are Nickelodeon and just the teenage years, they salute your shorts earthquake is nick jr which is like still nickelodeon but it's kind of cute at the same time so you don't dislike it as much <laughs> that that's my distinction between he's nick jr and the rest of these heels uh, that i mentioned are like salute your shores nickelodeon heels does
1: that make earthquake more tolerable than the others
0: yeah like have you did you ever see face was that what it was? There was a giant face one time that hosted Nick Nick jr. I think
1: I, nope, I didn't see that I was okay not a well person. earthquake
0: is Nick Jr, and it's like I'm not yeah. scared of you. I don't know why you keep having these major feuds, and people like are worried about it, but like you know you're, you're all right I don't wanna let's say turn the channel like you don't offend me
1: <laughs> I, yeah, that's fair i yeah I, I also i mean certainly given the choice between like the nasty boys or something, and i'll I'll certainly pick earthquake every time yeah. without hesitation, so I think I get the style of what you're talking about. Uh, Certainly all these guys are well fit to be fighting the Ninja Turtles or something, so I'll I'll give you that.
0: Um, Well, the uh, Nasty Boys are to the Ninja Turtles, so.
1: (laughs) They really, yeah, they really went for that look, so, yeah, you
0: know. Uh, We got a garbage promo with Hulk Hogan where uh, he talks about, uh, once again, having weapons, new weapons in the 90s and stuff, and yet he is more stale than he's ever been.
1: He also declares oh. that you have no friends in this match, so look carefully for his righteous indignation when people take him at his word.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, because Sergeant Sauter had his new rules, and now Hogan's got his new new rules where, like, he doesn't do anything. He wants to anybody at any time. And yet, as Hulk Hogan uh, continues to run uh, practice drills for the whole arena turning on him soon, uh, we will see Hulk Hogan behave differently than his rhetoric.
1: Indeed, yes, uh, and yet saying that he will just do whatever he wants—that's what he did anyway. So you know, it's 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 the new rules are the same as the old rules, but people will get sick of them. Some,
0: yeah. So
1: uh,
0: battle royal time.
1: Yeah, battle royal time. We got everybody down there. We got managers. We got Bobby Heenan because the whole family is in this match, which I love to see. Uh, Hogan comes down, he attacks everyone to get it started. So I guess he's bringing it forward. He has no friends. He's going to attack the whole field. Um, Hogan in a battle Royal like this is kind of a novelty. I got to say, you know, I, we, we have a lot of bad to say about Hogan, but just him being here kind of does add some weight to this. It puts me in mind of that great Andre Hogan battle Royal that they had before WrestleMania three.
0: Yeah. And it's fascinating because he's won, back-to-back royal rumbles but he will not win the 20-man uh, battle royal on saturday night's main event
1: yes which is very gratifying to me and whenever hogan's in a match but he's not uh, part of the finish that is a very interesting and rare occurrence i think um so we get a lot of little interesting things we have heenan uh, kind of directing mr perfect to stand on the ring steps to avoid getting in the match in the early uh, going you have hercules uh, he will team up with different family members. They will throw out Davey Boy Smith together. So there is a Heenan family reunion for you. A lot of interesting stuff early on in this match.
2: Yeah.
0: I think it was BK who pointed out that the last time the Rockers were mentioned as Tag Team Specialists, it was Marty Jannetty making that statement and not Shawn Michaels. And so <laughs> if we want to keep dividing up the Rockers, I would ask you to pay attention to when Marty Jannetty is eliminated and when Shawn Michaels is eliminated.
1: Oh, yeah, the writing is on the wall there. We've seen uh, Michaels getting Intercontinental title shots. We will see him go deep in here. We saw him go deep at Survivor Series, I think. Um he is uh, getting the the spotlight, and it becomes more and more obvious why, because he, he is wonderful in this match, like, especially towards the end. We'll talk about it, but, man, he is doing some great stuff in here.
0: Yeah. Marty eliminated, I think, first or second with Paul Roma, unfortunately, because power and glory. It's really going to hurt Slick's, I think, credibility when he pitches uh, Andre the Giant to join him when power and glory is out here behaving like this. <laughs>
1: Uh, indeed, but uh, heel managers are nothing if not confident, whether it's deserved yes. or not. So, you know, fake it till you make it. Sometimes it works. Um,
0: this was a fun battle royal for heels. Like shout out oh, to yeah. our prof and just this whole battle royal because Davy Boy's eliminated by the Warlord. Uh, Mister Perfect's gonna show out. Hulk Hogan's not gonna win it. This is not one for the baby faces.
1: Indeed not. Uh, Jake Roberts will be thrown out by mm. the earthquake without you know pretty early on as well. Uh, he will, of course, get his revenge in uh, what I think is a great visual, because he will throw his snake in the ring after being eliminated, and everyone in the match will stop fighting. They will back the hell off until that snake is gone, and uh, that includes everyone. Even Hogan, I think, is backing off on that one.
2: Yeah,
0: good for Hogan.
1: <laughs> Hogan's really, I
0: don't know if he just doesn't care anymore, but, man, he's just, he's just kind of there in a lot of this
1: yeah no true enough i don't know he's thinking about a suburban commando or something but uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh speaking of hogan he will get involved in a shoving match with tugboat so i guess they are no longer married for the 90s hogan will act very <laughs> indignant when tugboat lays a hand on him so please remember what we said before hogan declared he would have no friends then he got mad at his friends so uh just just take careful note of that
0: yeah on the other side, Tugboat's been trying this since Royal Rumble, but Hogan's just like, nah, you know, I'm not going that far. But <laughs> it's not going to be a match, brother.
1: <laughs> uh, it's the uh, extension of Hogan delaying the Savage blow-up yes. until WrestleMania. Now he'll just delay the Tugboat blow-up until, you know, they don't even have to have a match anymore.
0: Old Hogan uh, eliminates Warlord with some boo.
1: <laughs> i believe you eliminate earthquake as well because we all know earthquake is a chump compared to hulk hogan that's been proved many times um uh, but tugboat is the man who will throw out hulk hogan and um you know not that i really care about them blowing up but uh, i did kind of have a laugh at that and then of all people sean michaels will throw out tugboat and he'll do it very easily so yeah. so much for tugboat <laughs> terrifying size
0: Kind of swat him on the shoulder and then give him a a little tap on the leg.
1: (laughs) Oh, my. That's great stuff.
0: Michaels is better. This is a man that's going to win back-to-back Royal Rumble, so he is surprisingly good at these Battle Royals.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, he is. He's very good in these. Uh, Shawn Michaels is truly coming into his own here, and uh, we had a conversation last time about what is the best Shawn Michaels, and uh, I don't know if it will turn out to be true, but I really like – Early Shawn Michaels, like close to the heel turn, then right after the heel turn. I think there's a lot that you could say about that period alone.
0: Yeah, I liked your perspective last week when you mentioned, like with Shawn being my first favorite wrestler in WWF, had he already betrayed Martin Giannetti, and it's kind of surprising that he hadn't, but he was my first favorite. But at the same time, I think the more we watch in this era, you can start to see why he stood out even before he stood out.
1: Yeah, it really becomes clear. You know, this is not the days where uh, you didn't know one name from the other. Because a long time, I think they were kind of on the same field. But Mm -hmm. Michaels is definitely pulling far ahead now, I think.
0: Yeah, it feels like Michaels is getting younger and J'Nae's getting older. And I don't know how that's happening.
1: (laughs) Uh, Something, yeah. I mean, I feel like if Michaels got too much younger, he would have to go back to high school or something. (laughs) but Except, yes, like, uh, he is growing and Jannetty uh, is shrinking. Yeah, something is going on
2: there. So.
0: I don't want to even say this out loud because it's too good to be true, but mm. we've been talking about the quiet Hulk Hogan, which is great. Another quiet guy right now is Jim Duggan, who is not doing a lot these days. He was Even on commentary, he was not even halfway annoying. And he just gets dumped by earthquake and it's nothing.
1: Yeah, no, he doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't uh, hit people with the board. You know, you'd almost think he's on his way out, yet yeah, he will be here uh, feuding with Yokozuna in a few years, and do yeah. all this other stuff, and then he'll go off and destroy stunning Steve Austin's career forever, yes. and he'll have to be a new person, so, you know.
0: Yoko's gonna make him pay for a multitude of sins.
1: <laughs> yes, Yokozuna, the arbiter of justice. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to Yokozuna. I love Yokozuna, I'll just say that flat out, so I, I'm looking forward to that, and
0: Yeah, you can't beat Yoko. I had a thought the other day that I have never really thought of because we are in the world where, aside from Andre, the first top stars that we knew were Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Well, in 1993, Yoko Zuna is going to win the Royal Rumble by eliminating Randy Savage, and he's going to eliminate Hulk Hogan from the WWF six months later.
1: Yeah, I believe Yokozun will beat Savage uh, on TV as well in a singles Man. match, so we will try to dig that out when we get there because there's some good stuff going on.
0: I feel like some of these guys like Undertaker and Yoko just didn't watch WWF, so they came in not knowing the, <laughs> how they were supposed to behave. <laughs>
1: That's great. Yeah, they didn't know like what they couldn't do, so they just <laughs> did it. And you know, by the time someone told them, hey, you can't do that, it's too late, it's already done. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and we know the size has a part to do with it, but it's funny in a way that, like, a Bret Hart who we want to make our Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan's not going to let him get close to, like, putting him over, and yet the Yokozunas and the uh, Undertakers who are always supposed to be, I think, a slight notch under the Bret Harts and Shawn Michaels who they're trying to, like, put first, just have their way with all these guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely! No, it's gonna be great. I'm so looking forward to that stuff. Oh yes. Oh man! Look! Look at! Look at the final six members of this battle royal. The final six is Mister Perfect, Barbarian, and Haku. Big Boss Man, Sean Michaels, and Greg Valentine. Wow! What an embarrassment of amazing talent! Like you could start a promotion around those six guys, and I think you would do very well for yourself. Like there's this there's just talent like falling out of our ears in this battle royal it is wonderful stuff
0: yeah man i was waiting for a bad name to be mentioned and there's not one this there's is beautiful
1: that. yeah yeah
0: and it plays out it plays out like if you're thinking like well it's good names but no they put their talents on display for this
1: that they do this is a fantastic battle royal i think uh, perfect of barbarian team up they double team uh, boss man out of the ring So you got Michaels and Valentine, and they're kind of working together because it's all three Heenan family members, which I think is awesome, Mm -hmm. against these two guys. Uh, There is too little done in this era with, like, these heel stables, these alliances. So them getting to all work together is great stuff. Uh, A little miscommunication with the heels. Shawn Michaels uh, eliminates Haku. And then we get, man, one of the best sequences in this whole match, one of the best things we're going to talk about tonight, Shawn Michaels, will go buck wild on Mr. Perfect. He will be jabbing him and punching him in just a barrage of attacks. He will almost eliminate him. And in this awesome moment, Michaels will be like on the, on the ring apron and he will go after perfect perfect will duck he'll go after him again perfect will duck again then perfect will just like lunge backwards with an elbow and smack michaels he will go flying off it is one of the best elimination sequences i have ever seen so much good stuff in this match this is a must watch in my opinion
2: yeah
0: he exploits the rockers because the doing too much michaels does the rick flair flip in the corner and mm-hmm. we all know what comes after that it's a clothesline michaels ducks that clothesline but when you duck something like that, you have now exposed your back to the ring, and Perfect just gives him just this kind of back elbow to the back, and both brutally and also nonchalantly at the same time kind of lets him know, hey, uh, hey, kid, I, I, like, I still got it on you.
1: Oh, yeah. If I could have one wish, man, and it has to be wrestling-related, I would give serious thought to... Mr. Perfect does not uh, go away after SummerSlam 91. He does not leave the ring because he is sublime here. And I just think of all the other things that he could have done if he had continued on at this pace.
0: Yeah, he is, he's setting the pace. He is the trailblazer of all these things to come. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that gets mentioned. I think Bret Hart is often mentioned as that person. But no, it's already started. And it's not Bret Hart and it's not Shawn Michaels. It's Mr. Perfect as the trailblazer
2: here.
1: Yeah, he, he ran ahead of both of them, I think. And uh, sadly, he won't get to reap all the benefits. But, man, he's going to have some great stuff. He's great here. Uh, that SummerSlam match with Brett is one of my all-time favorites. So we're really going to be getting some good, perfect stuff. And then, hey, he'll be with Flair, and that will be a whole thing as well. And that's good, too. But, man, I'll miss him from the ring while he's not in it.
0: Yeah. Another guy I'm going to miss is Greg Valentine. I oh, feel like
1: yeah,
0: he's in this moment where they could have treated him with respect. And even if he was going out. I don't know. something about him being a baby face it. he needs some kind of tribute or some kind of meaningful storyline right now. I feel like he's right there for it.
1: Yeah, I wish they could have done more. There is a Mr. Perfect Greg Valentine singles match on TV for the title somewhere. Sadly, I could not find it for this show, uh, but I have seen it before. It is great. I would have loved if they could have even done more with it. I agree. I would have loved to see something for him as he goes out the door. That's kind of a failing of this whole era. Guys, they never really get an ending. They just sort of fade away until they don't matter anymore. And man, I could have done with a few, uh, you know, I don't know, like a career-threatening match or something. We'll even see it with Bobby Heenan. Like, he will just suddenly not be managing anymore. Endings do not get treated the way I wish they could be treated in this era of wrestling.
0: In an era where they deserve it the most, because, like, that's what's carried the best parts of these errors and it is unfortunate. And I don't know how much of it is disrespectful and they should have done better by people where the end and how much is just, we don't have that kind of um, idea set in motion at this time.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's something. And uh, it's tough as well because endings are never really endings in wrestling. You give somebody a big angle as they go out and guess what, they're going to show up in WCW tomorrow, you know, so, you, you know, there's a whole consideration, but, man, still, I wish it could have happened. Um, well,
0: that should be the thing about being arrogant, though, and pretending like WCW doesn't exist at this time. You can <laughs> give them the ending you want, and if they get a WCW, who cares, because you pretend like they don't exist anyway. <laughs> yeah, we know that
1: everyone actually cares a whole lot about that, so, uh, unfortunately, it is what it is. Uh, so Greg Valentine alone against Barbarian and Mr. Perfect another miscommunication perfect hits barbarian valentine throws the big man out it is perfect and valentine the finale that i would have asked for at the start of the match and that rarely happens that's great mr Val- uh, valentine is beating up perfect he's taking those amazing bumps for him valentine almost throws perfect out but he latches on flips out valentine instead just barely staying alive long enough to win it's great because he does hit the ground he just doesn't like a second after valentine and then he bounces back in the ring so it's a great ending it's a great match i could not recommend this highly enough definitely check this out
0: yeah he and wads him out of the ring to uh, to greg valentine's big show but then kind of falls out with him as well but then pops back up on the apron
1: oh it's great stuff i wonder if just one foot touched the ground when he did that you yeah. know so <laughs> a little foreshadowing again for you there
0: Absolutely. So that's a big one. Again, what is Mr. Perfect not done like? He's a forerunner, not just for Bret and Michaels. He's a forerunner for Undertaker and Yokozuna because he's another one who has just come in and acted like he doesn't know the rules. He's, he <laughs> beat up and broke the world title. He challenged yeah. Hulk Hogan. He's dominated the IC title. He's winning battle royals as a heel. So just doing what he wants to here in the WWF.
1: Yep, yep, spectacular name, and again, just wish we could have seen what was next for him, but uh, we'll get one last great ride for Mr. Perfect in the ring before he uh, goes away for a while, so that's something.
0: Yeah. Next up, we got DiBiase, Sherry, and Mean Gene Oglin is a prep to take on, Uh, DiBiase preps to take on Brett the Hitman Hart.
1: Absolutely, and I gotta give infinite props to Sherry for always matching up her outfits to her clients so well, she always looks amazing. She tells us money isn't everything; it's the only thing, and she is already fitting in well with the Million Dollar Man.
0: Yeah, I thought she can move rather easily from gimmick to gimmick, even though I don't know there's a greater difference than kind of the Disney magic that she was in now the the very earthy like money material gimmick, but she has managed to move between them, and she will continue to do this in the WWF.
1: <laughs> she is spectacular because i feel like she can lash on any theme any client and she will just approach it with such incredible gusto the outfits the promos the passion that she puts into it like she'll put her whole self into all this stuff i don't think sherry ever had more than one client at a time because she was so dedicated to that one client always that she just uh, would go all out so i love sherry she's one of the best she's with dibiase and it's it's good stuff already
0: yeah, this is also a return of, I think, one of, I said one of Bret Hart's coming out moments was Survivor Series with uh, Ted DiBiase, so yeah. they're being brought back together again.
1: Yep, they are. Bret Hart now very much on his own. We'll see at one point, uh, Neidhart is kind of doing some commentary things, and Bret, meanwhile, is uh, on the rising path. So, yeah, we had Perfect, we had Sean, these guys standing out last time, now Bret Hart will be in this match, and he will work uh, overtime, I think, to be a standout once again. I feel like Bret is extremely good in this match.
0: He is, and I, I will also have some things to say with Bret versus Barbarian, but we are starting to move not only into the wrestling, which I think we've seen longer, but we're starting to see some of the storyline, yeah, kind of what Bret Hart is, like um, how he kind of takes his opponents apart type thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we will see uh, a classic Bret Hart finish in that upcoming match as well, which is always something he was known for. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a pretty good match. I think uh, I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, it really is. We we praised Ted DiBiase a lot. And he's very good here as well. But I was really drawn to Bret Hart here, just looking at the way he moves around the ring, the way he bumps and sells, the way he counters things, all of that stuff. He will dive out to the floor at one point um he's he's doing all this stuff and he's really come into his own you can tell why he's about to get that big singles push that will really not stop until he leaves the wwf
0: yeah i don't think you're going to meet anybody in wwf the legacy series who wants it more than bret hart Mm. and not just in theory but in practice Uh, he wants to be there he wants to wrestle he wants to carry the brand he wants to represent it he wants to do that work outside right this is a man who you don't have to tell him twice or ask him twice. Like, he wants this thing, and he's on his way to it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, think about the fact that this is, what, the sixth, maybe seventh even year of Bret Hart in the WWF, and how he has built brick by brick, we talked about it before, just built up this ability from, you know, I won't say he started with nothing, but, you know, he was jobber Bret Hart with two Ts, you know, when he started, Mm. and now look where he is. Like, he has climbed every rung of this company and he is still climbing and yeah he has really come into some incredible ability here he
0: is because it, it, it even struck me when he wasn't in the battle royal i was like man where's brett hart so you know <laughs> he he is missed when he's not there and he is i think you've already seen the beginning of i preferred the battle royal was 20 people and they put yes. they booked the right people but i think he's out there to steal the show from the battle royal
1: uh, he's trying, yeah. This is definitely the second best uh, match on the show, easily, I would say. Um, so, yeah, he, he puts a lot out here. You know, he knows what he's shooting for, and he's doing a damn good job with it. And...
0: I think it's the complicated thing that we'll have to get into as the series goes on, but nothing frustrates me yet as much as how bitter he has been for so long. Yeah. But, like, in that same ball of, like, desire and commitment – is this other side of it like i don't know if anyone ever loved wwf more purely than bret hart did
1: yeah yeah no there's there's some legitimate tragedy there uh with everything that went down and i'm not just talking about montreal i'm talking about a lot of different facets of that story so i understand it even though yeah it can be very tiresome to kind of uh go through his comments at times
0: He's everyone's favorite wrestler, too. I think he benefits. Like I think Perfect wants to put him over. Piper wants to put him over. DiBiase wants to put him over. Yeah. So that says a lot about his family. I think it says a lot about his character in the bag. But it just feels like anyone who knows talent, I think, wants to be part of this Bret Hart story.
1: Sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly he's got uh, some ego about him, as we will see at certain points. But compared to most people in wrestling, you know forget about it. Like everyone's probably real happy to work with Bret Hart who works so hard to make his matches good. And uh, by all accounts, I don't think he's like ever an asshole backstage, Um, you know? So you just like, if you have a job where you have to work with people, you probably want to work a lot of times with that co-worker who's, like, quiet, not a jerk, works really hard, makes you look good as well as himself. Like, that's the ideal person you want to work with a lot of the time. So I can't blame anybody who uh, speaks highly of Bret Hart in that context.
0: Absolutely. So And this is a big deal. This is DiBiase, who he has been at the top of the brand. And it's Sherry, who's been at the top of the brand. And it's a two-on-one match at times. But, man, you know. I think Bret Hart is getting it's all it's all blessing on the way to uh, to the IC title. I think
1: absolutely, yeah, and it's a shining light on Bret as well because not for nothing, DBS is good, Sherry's good, but man, Bret Hart is kind of outshining them in a way here, yeah. and that's not something I would have expected. Uh, even liking Bret Hart, you know, I I like the other two more really, but Bret Hart, yeah, he's he's the focal point here, and it's through his own hard work.
0: Yeah, I think we're gonna get Piper. So. We're starting to see a lot of things come together here.
1: We are, yeah. Again, we see connections between feuds and other things. So Roddy Piper will jump off commentary, walk to the ring, uh, confront Sherry after she gets involved too much. He will pull out a broom and kind of chase her away in a silly way. Um, The distraction will lead to a double countout between Brett and DiBiase. Uh, which, you know, it is what it is. These lazy, these lousy finishes are just very common in this era. But still, an excellent match. Really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it did its part. These They're all going in different directions. They got things to do. You know, it's not a surprise anymore <laughs> at this point. You know, what's going to happen?
1: <laughs> for sure. I also felt Piper was doing some commentary for this match as well. I, I thought I could tell he was particularly invested in Bret Hart. And we will see that play out. Uh, almost a year from now, as we come up to WrestleMania eight and the connection between them will become a lot more clear.
0: I don't know if anyone in the history of wrestling has ever put anyone over with more gusto than Piper is going to put Bret Hart over with.
1: Oh, sure. And this is Piper. Like Piper doesn't put over people, you know, we'll, we'll say good things about Piper much of the time, but uh, he is not like, he will never put over Hogan uh, when they're in their prime together I, I, I don't know if I can think of a person he put over, actually, in the whole time we've been watching the Legacy series.
0: It's, it's a big deal. He he loves Bret Hart, so, Yep. you know. Indeed. Well, um, boy, Tito and uh, a Mountie
2: rematch.
1: <laughs> and it probably means about as much now as it did last time. At least they get a little more time to work here. Um, so, yeah, this is the main event, quote-unquote, actually the match where everyone probably went to bed already, as we've talked about before but, uh, it is Tito, it is the Mountie, uh, they will have a short, but, you know, a solid match, I think, like, there's some good stuff in here, uh, nothing to maybe write home about, but, yeah, you get Tito with the great punches, the killer dropkicks, uh, you have the Mountie, he will act obnoxious, and he will, like, hold Tito in different holds, and, like, bash him into the turnbuckle and such, so, it's a fine match, you know, for what it is, it's nothing too notable, though,
0: yeah, Mountie's going to kind of get the same wind, the same way, pretty much.
1: <laughs> yep, you use that cattle prod, but this time there will be a cheesy sound effect of, like, electricity when he does it, so mm-hmm. take that for what it's worth, which is not much. Well, worse. the
0: earthquake also had that, I think the whole visual shakes when he does it, jumping up and down now.
1: Oh, yep, backstage, they shook the camera like there was really an earthquake going on, so some cheesy, maybe ill-advised effects from the WWF here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And of course, we need to go back to Sergeant Slaughter, who has more to say, more of the same to say.
1: Oh boy, this feud really got out of hand in terms of the verbal warfare. Like the matches were nothing to write home about, but man, Okerlund will talk to Slaughter, and Slaughter will imagine like very vividly burning Hogan's skin off and like tearing mm-hmm. the the gooey skin off his face and holding it in his hands. And man, they will they will really verbally be inappropriate in this whole feud.
0: Well, when you're 13 at summer camp and your parents aren't around, you can behave in ways you haven't behaved before. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah, you're (laughs) right about that. Jesus.
0: He also says, I rule the world, uh, which, again, I think is just an invitation for Sid Justice to arrive.
1: Oh, that's probably why Sid decided to be a face, because he tried to steal his catchphrase. (laughs)
0: God. Is this Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan together?
1: Oh, is it? No, it's Piper and Hogan. Oh, so. uh, Roddy
0: Piper. Okay, yeah, I just saw RP and I thought it was RS, so, gotcha.
1: <laughs> uh, Piper interviews Hogan, which should be an exclamation point, but they don't really treat it as anything, unfortunately. Um, Hogan says slaughter, committed crimes against mankind, blah, 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 all this stuff. We, we won't get to see it, but man, I was looking through my notes again from this whole era that I covered in a lot of depth in the, the Heenan series, and yeah from Hogan like every little promo would be like oh you're gonna put grenades in the popcorn boxes and you're gonna kill the children with chemical warfare and all this like ridiculous stuff it's just mm. what he said it's like the immature like kid idea of you know what a what a really hardcore feud should be and it's just so stupid
0: yeah he's the only one committed Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan are treating this like afternoon summer game at camp in a way that the rest, it's an exercise. Like, we get to run around for an hour for the rest of the kids, but they have turned it into something else entirely.
1: <laughs> Man, I feel like I came up with a better storyline when I was a kid, but uh, who knows. Yes, so.
0: <laughs> agreed. agree. But uh, you got hugging and slaughters. That's exactly what I would imagine they would imagine.
1: Yep, yep. It is what it is. All right, that is Saturday Night's main event. So some fun stuff, some bad stuff, you know, as we, we get the mix at times. But now we go into this bonus stuff, and, uh, oh, boy, there's a lot of rich stuff in here. I the the This was the, one of the toughest ones to put together because there was a lot of stuff. And WWE, because they suck, uh, did not really put a lot of this on the network, mm-hmm. which is a huge failing on their part. So it's a lot of sifting through YouTube clips, all this stuff. But man, I think the full picture, when you really get the full picture, is really some amazing stuff. So we're going to talk about a few matches, then we're going to talk about some all-time great storyline stuff. It's going to be very rich, very great conversation. I can't wait to get into it here.
0: Yeah, all-time great somehow might be an underestimation for some of it. (laughs) Great choices, Ms. fan. Great findings. This is what the unearthing is all about.
1: Oh, yeah. This is great. We must really be... Are we getting into any stuff that you saw firsthand? We must be at this point, right?
0: I saw, I think, most of the Jake Roberts Ultimate Warrior stuff in real time.
1: What a way to start. No wonder you were hooked. You know, that's, that's an amazing place to start out if you're a, a new WWF fan.
0: It's weirdly like... This is as good as it can get. So I'm not knocking what I saw because I have a lot of positive stuff to say. But it's almost somehow even better when you have no idea what it is or wrestling is, and you just turn on the TV and Jake's in the cemetery doing whatever he's doing. Warriors doing what he's doing. Mm. You know, that that could be a moment I think for most people where you either, if you turn it off, you may never go back to it, and if you don't turn it off, you can't leave it. <laughs>
1: You might be doing a podcast 30 years later, if you, yes. if you leave it on as portentous. So
0: <laughs> it, it is what it is, though, because I won't get later. Like, one thing I've always understood is like I like good storytelling. I like psychology. You know, I think I would have done psychology over English, except my mom told me I should do psychology. And back then, that was enough for me to do English. So <laughs> I think she was right and I was wrong. But, you know, so I can imagine not even knowing what Jake Roberts is. Just his voice, just his storytelling, just his psychology is the kind of stuff that I was born to be attracted to, and he doesn't have to announce, like, hey, I'm doing this thing. You just get swept up, and boom, like I said, I think you turn that off, and you're like, that is garbage, or you leave that on, and like you said, you do a podcast 30 years later. I don't think there's any other choice among uh, the options there.
1: No, no, it's, uh, it's one or the other, it seems, so... Oh, boy. All right. So that's kind of going to be our main event. We're going to talk about that a little yes. bit later on. First, we've got a few matches that I want to go through here. Uh, some interesting stuff. Uh, we start with a couple of matches from the April 22 uh, Madison Square Garden Show of 1991. Uh, some notable stuff here. Perhaps most notable, Ricky Steamboat returning to the WWF. He is now the dragon. He's got the costume. He will breathe fire with his little fire stick and uh and yeah i mean you can't say ricky steamboat didn't try with this uh they will just give him nothing to do with the gimmick they will give him all gimmick and no substance and uh it's ricky steamboat for god's sake so it's really a shame but we do get him here up against haku in what i think is a very fine matchup
0: yeah i think for anyone who thinks wwf always has better characters and storylines Look at Ricky Steamboat before this, and Ricky Steamboat after this, and just make the comparison for yourself.
1: <laughs> yes, please compare any moment of Ricky Steamboat's 1991 WWF run to his debut when he comes back to WCW, and you will you will have an illusion shattered if you think WWF is always superior.
2: Yeah, it, it
0: is so beautiful the Arn Anderson moment. Mm, like we are on the hills man. of that. Uh, what surprised me was. Upper body-wise, these two are not that far apart at this time.
1: (laughs) They got those thick, broad chests. Uh, My friend and I, my wife, were watching uh, the Batman animated series, the cartoon. And uh, I was noticed on that, Batman's got, like, the chest that looks like it's about five feet across. (laughs) And some of these wrestlers, yeah, they kind of got the same chest going on. So, you know, props to them for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's because I knew Ming, I think more than haku at one point in my life but like he he's a lot slimmer than i remember it at times and steamboat's also kind of jacked, so neither of them look exactly what my stereotypical like kind of memory of them looks like
1: well we talked about it before mang is clearly much larger than haku somehow i don't know how but it's just yeah. true so <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Um, so we get this match, we get Heenan, Monsoon, and Neidhart on commentary, and Neidhart will be hanging around commentary a lot in 1991, um, but, uh, you know, he, he's not bad, you know, he's about maybe the same level as all these other wrestlers who kind of tried their hand at it and didn't work out, but still, he got Heenan and Monsoon together, uh, which is very good stuff, and Heenan doesn't even come out to, uh, manage Haku here, although he will have some comments for his man.
0: Yeah, I would also say, Stimos... Deep arm drags are very telegraphed, but I think if Bobby Heenan had been at ringside, he could have put uh, Haku onto something. <laughs> he kind of claps his hands together, gets his body ready. I think I think Heenan needed to be down, down at ringside for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he had been, who knows what advice he could have given Haku here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's Steamboat, it's Haku. They're both really talented. You get some huge chops. Uh, you get some, some quick stuff flying around. Uh, it's it's a fun match. It's one that I would definitely recommend checking out.
0: How does this one go down? I...
1: Like the finish? Uh, oh, steamboat. it's a steamboat.
0: It's a steamboat. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Missed that flying crossbody. Gets that victory. Probably won't get a lot of notable victories, but he did get this one here over Haku. It's a very fine match that I enjoyed a lot.
0: I wish we could get Haku back on a push. I don't know what's happened, but... Yeah. You know, I remember back in the day... <laughs> you know when he was just just a young man and all the promise that he had, and he never did anything, you know, to go sideways. But here he is, a lot of great talent. Hercules, it's a lot of really good talent that are starting to just be. I don't want to say enhancement, but they're kind of there to make the others look better.
1: Yeah. I mean, look no farther than Ricky Steamboat as the dragon with one dimension and no feuds in his whole run. So, yeah, they are – as much as they are doing some really good things, they are clearly making some mistakes as well. So it's still the WWF. You know, they're going to have some problems. Um, Two things, yeah. One, it's hard to believe that in three years, Meng is going to be wearing that uh, chair around his head and Mm -hmm. wearing those glasses and about to tear Dusty Rhodes' head off. And just, yeah, they never – Nobody ever fully capitalized on Meng the way they should have, or on Haku, or on anybody, so that's a damn shame. And then the other thing is, uh, this will be painful, but please recall, Haku and Barbarian are in the same stable together, and yet we just watched the Nasty Boys-Bushwhackers tag team title match, so that's just a crime against everybody.
0: It is, it is. And I think uh, Ricky Steamboat, I think they brought him back maybe just to punish him for how he left the last time.
1: It's very possible. The thought has occurred to me.
0: Because he's about to do what might be the greatest mentor run in the history of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. When he goes to WCW, what he does for Dustin Rhodes, for Shane Douglas, for Steve Austin, for Brian Pillman, and for a bunch of others. like It is maybe the greatest mentor run of all time. And you can't have him doing that with Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Like, you're set up to do that as well, but you make him the dragon because making Carrie Von takes Texas Tornado work so well. And, you know, you put him in this costume and you give him nothing to work with. I honestly think it is true to character in WWF that this might be a, you know, hey, you know, we wanted to use you. You didn't want to work, remember? <laughs> you know, seven years ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah, how dare you spend time with your child here well. have a have a crap gimmick they can't get over. and it's a, like Steamboat even could have gotten this gimmick over, I think, just fine if they'd ever given him an angle to work, but they never will. And then, yeah, he will go on to have an astoundingly great three-year run in WCW after this, so you can't imagine that he was done. But this is the company that is like, they don't even want to use Randy Savage. So, yeah, they're clearly making some mistakes, even as they do some things very well.
0: Yeah, I will also say he did a lot of arm drags, and I had to thought: what if absent anger, he only does arm drags? <laughs> That's why he has to be angry all the time.
1: Hey man, if you just arm drag a guy until you know, you might have to tap out from all those arm drags. Cause you'll you'll have to throw up <laughs> <Yep>. eventually. So,
0: <laughs> see, but welcome back.
1: Welcome back. It's not gonna be much for you, but here you are. So. Now, uh, we move a little later on that same card. We have a Big Boss Man taking on the Mountie in uh, one of their earliest meetings. This is kind of the feud that the Mountie exists for because it's Lawman against Lawman. Before the match, Lord Alfred Hayes will be at ringside, and he will have a question for the Mounty. He will wonder if he has any jurisdiction in America. Mountie says, Big Boss Man is just a hit cop from Cobb County, but I patrol the world. Wrestling Federation.
0: <laughs> I thought it was a nice retort.
1: It was. It really was. Yes. What is Big Boss Man's jurisdiction? You know, it's yeah. Cobb County, and here we are. We're not in Cobb County. We're in New York, so it's a fair point.
0: They were trying to make the argument for the Boss Man. Even the announcers fell into that trap. Well, you know, he he doesn't actually. Uh, <laughs> but this is one of my favorite things in wrestling: is the fact that Lord Alfred Hayes is down there with a pointed question he wants to ask, but instead of that meaning obviously there's a there's a, there's a, a promo or, or or excuse me there's a, like an interview coming it was i don't know if he'll even stop i don't know if he'll come over here i have no idea if this is gonna happen because it's real time and it's actually happening so i don't know if this is gonna
2: happen or not
1: yeah you really avoid that feeling of being overly polished you know it feels a little yeah. chaotic a little more authentic uh it's a very nice touch i like it and i like that alfred hayes was the guy who got to do it because everything he does feels like it's not planned out, you know, so.
0: And he leans heels, so, like, he's doing his job as a journalist, whether he wants to or not.
1: Yes, he does. I can never, I can't pit down Alfred Hayes' alignment, but you're right, he may lean heel, so it's a good, it's a good touch there.
0: Yeah, so that is the setup. Uh, he makes the, the Mountie angry, and the Mountie comes into the ring with that to face his nemesis, the big boss
2: man
1: absolutely so and i got to say before the match starts big boss man the way he moves that nightstick around like he flips it around like uh if you ever saw somebody with nunchucks like flip them all around their body big boss man does that but just with a nightstick and man i feel like he could he, he's like a black belt with that nightstick or something like that's terrifying
0: yeah i agree and i think he's particularly offended because Uh, The Mountie shows how easy it is to exploit the gimmick that the boss man is using.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great point. Man, I love this feud. They're going to have a big match in SummerSlam where the loser has to go to jail for the night. I love that stipulation. These two guys, they're so well-fitted for each other. Big Boss Man is just like he's batting 100, Um, you know, in this era we talked about before. He's such an MVP. There's so much good stuff going on here
0: yeah man it really is Mountie comes running at him to start and boss man does a big boot like someone would do a Dusty Red's elbow or a punch to the face
1: mm, yeah is that where he kicks the shock stick out of yeah. Jack's hands it goes flying yep. and yeah I love that moment it's so good so good
0: and Mountie all that we've watched is Mounty is he's bigger than he was before yeah. and he's kind of dominated his opponents. And early in the match, he's going to jump up, and Bossman is going to catch him like there's nothing there, like he didn't even do it.
1: Oh, yeah, no, Bossman's going to have some great dominant moments here. The only thing that will give Jacques uh, an advantage is Bossman will take a a pretty wild bump out of the ring, and that will damage his leg, and Jacques will go after his leg, and it's a very nice uh, bit of psychology there. It's very smart. But, man, up to that point, yeah, you could believe Bossman was just going to run this guy over completely.
0: Yeah, and they, they say Bossman's lost 10 to 15 pounds. Girl, Monsoon says he got tired of chasing you, brain.
1: <laughs> a lot of comments against the brain here. But uh, as we know, he kind of maybe has some coming, actually, with this big Bossman stuff.
0: Yeah, man, Bossman is trash talking, Mounty Bobby Heaton says, you hear what he's saying? And Girl says, I can't read lips. He's like, I could, but I can't repeat it. <laughs> and then he says, that's a nice way to talk in front of me. Which, you know, I think the stereotypical thing would be talk that way in front of your mother or something. So he has substituted himself for Bossman's mother, I think. (laughs) Because he does not learn. Oh, he really
1: does not learn. Uh, It's amazing that these two guys ever stopped feuding. You know, (laughs) I think they only stopped because he uh, is really on the verge of retiring from uh, anything very active. But, man... I think Heaton maybe could have just kept aggravating boss man for the rest of their lives. You know, I don't think he ever would have figured out how to stop.
0: Yeah, and I also want to say before we get into anything else on a night that we need to praise The Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Jake Roberts, even Ultimate Warrior. Bobby Heenan has moments that are as good as any of those uh, in oh, this. Yeah. And so we're we're <laughs> going to see Bobby Heenan be special a lot in this bonus material.
1: We really are. And it's it's telling that I couldn't tell if you were going to say Bobby Heenan or if you were going to say Big Boss Man because you mm. could almost say the same about him. So many things are firing so well at this time.
0: Yeah, and some of them are repeat offenders. The boss man, Bobby Heenan, like, they make the list no matter what they're doing when they're on the show.
1: They really, really do. So much good stuff. Uh, At the end of this, Jacques gets on the mic, and uh, he makes some comment against the boss man. This kind of rallies boss man to come up, hit that boss man slam. He gets that victory, but uh, he does get shocked after the match. So that feud will continue, and it will climax in a very fun match at SummerSlam.
0: Yeah, again you said this is a character that kind of arrives, you know, for Bossman, so uh the feud continues. Bossman and Undertaker kinda of doing their thing at the same time, just creating uh their own worlds to exist in.
1: <laughs> Every time someone mentions Bossman and Undertaker, I'm like, Oh, I wish they had a match and then I remember they do have a WrestleMania match many years later, but that's not really the same thing. So, God, I'd love to see him fight in nineteen ninety one. I don't think it happens, but God I would have loved to see that.
2: Yeah.
0: Man, I love it. The WWF is doing so much right. And again, I don't know who's doing it. I don't know how much is on purpose. But there are some rewards. Mr. Perfect, throw him in there. There are some people who are now just weekly rewards on this show.
1: Oh, absolutely so. Man, I was just thinking, how many times have Big Boss Man and Jake Roberts been connected in their storylines? It will always be just a damn shame that Jake Roberts left. At WrestleMania 8, just as we were getting to really the best of his career, he will go off, and uh, he will never really be the same. Man, if he had stuck around, I'm imagining that Jake Roberts' big boss man feud in 1992, what an incredible thing that could have been.
0: Mm, Absolutely, my goodness.
1: Oh, man. All right, so we're going to fast forward again in Madison Square Garden. Now we're on July 1st, and this is an interesting... (laughs) <laughs> this is a fascinating little match to me that I really wanted to include on here because I've never seen anything quite exactly like it. It will be Haku and Barbarian. They will be taking on uh, Kato of the Orient Express and Mr. Fuji getting in the ring. And this is part of a completely non-televised, only-on-these-MSG-shows like MSG shows feud between Mr. Fuji and Bobby Heenan. And that is, like, the most fascinating thing to me – that this feud even exists. So we're just going to watch a piece of it right here. And I think this is a, an incredible novelty that is well worth checking out.
0: This is a treasure of treasures. I recommend this as highly as anything else on this show for people to watch. And that's saying something for some of the stuff we're going to talk about. It is, it is. But Bobby Heenan later will officially announce, and he's already done it at this time that he is leaving, managing to be a broadcast journalist so he's trying to to go straight here and do his job. Uh, Fuji's not having it, and we'll get into. It. I don't want to uh, step on the brilliance. So I'll go ahead and say it's funny that Bobby Heenan can have a feud with Mr. Fuji here, yet when Lex Luger challenges Yokozuna, Bobby Heenan can't like go with him. So again, <laughs> Luger is always the line for people. <laughs>
1: Maybe if he hadn't shoved him aside on the Intrepid, yeah, maybe things a would point. have been different. So they had their own falling out. Um, I
0: will say this. Nothing in this world, like an antagonized Bobby Heenan, like, nothing makes me more uncomfortable than when Bobby Heenan's uncomfortable. <laughs> uh,
1: indeed so. Nothing makes me more uncomfortable than when the babyface commentators are sympathetic to Bobby Heenan. Like, yes. it's so bizarre in this match, but it will actually happen, so...
0: Make no mistake, that is led by um, Lord Alfred
2: Hayes.
1: <laughs> yeah, but even Monsoon comes along, and yes. uh, you know that's that's really something in and of itself. So to set this up, um, there was a, a, an earlier MSG show, I believe, where Mr. Uh, Fuji, he was given kind of managership of the Barbarian back for one night, so he could stay at the booth, and he was like, oh yeah, Fuji, he's going to you know help my guy win this match. And Barbarian will lose that match, I believe, to Bret Hart, thanks to Mr. Fuji being Mr. Fuji and kind of screwing it up, because that's what he does. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they're going to set up to kind of, like, have a little feud between their families. I think Heenan's supposed to be involved, but then what does Heenan do? Like you said, he steps out of managing, so now Mr. Fuji is maybe uh, stuck in this match against Haku and Barbarian, but I don't think Fuji even realizes the danger he's in. Because Fuji, he's a special type, and he doesn't really see things the same way as other people.
0: Nah, and he handles himself decently in this.
1: He does, yeah. I, I've always kind of liked Fuji's uh, in-ring ability, even in his older age. I find some fun in him, despite his uh, despite the mustard of it all. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, he goes at Bobby Heenan almost immediately. I think he throws that salt in Bobby Heenan's face, I think, at the very beginning
1: yeah yeah absolutely so he will uh be throwing that salter on the ring he will throw some of it on bobby heenan bobby Heenan is so mad that he will almost jump in the ring he will fight mr fuji after all uh so he will uh he will back off of that but their conflict will go on and on and this is really where it starts where monsoon and Hayes are are sympathetic to heenan here so that's uh like, I'm, is, is Bobby Heenan the de facto face here? Like, I can't even tell, but it's, um, he's acting more like a baby face than I ever saw him before.
0: Yeah. He's outraged. Uh, that didn't they recognize the outrage? They're like, baby face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are right about that, yes. And you also try the attack after the match. So that, that's a true baby face maneuver yeah. right there.
0: Bobby Heenan says very honestly, I've tried to get along with all the managers. I've done bad things. They've done bad things.
1: yeah he will wheel and deal with many managers he's even worked with fuji before but uh, it is really falling apart right here um he he tells haku and barbarian i i don't care about kato just just make sure you destroy mr fuji and then leave me a scrap at the end so i can finish it off
2: yes
0: and because he's the most brilliant uh man in the world so Fuji's going to be in the ring later and they're going to be trying to pin him. He's going to keep putting his foot in the rope. And then Bobby he's going to keep pushing it out. And there's all this tension because like you can't do these things if you're going to be a broadcaster. So they're begging him not to. So the second time I think he Fuji puts his foot on the rope to stop a pin, Bobby he pushes it off. They're like, you know, they rebuke him. And he's like, he's kicking at me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> that is so smart.
1: Oh, it's incredible! Yes, just uh, just just twist the narrative any which way. It's That's great. also a
0: babyface, so maybe is, he is a babyface. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's learned well. He's watched for a long time what these babyfaces do, so he knows what's up. Uh, yeah. The action of this match is very fun as well, I think. But yes, definitely the biggest highlight is this like Bobby Heenan just uh, from the commentary position, like not even taking the headset off half the time, will continue his feud with Mister Fuji. Uh, he will come off the booth. He will try to help his man. Uh, Fuji will actually knock him down at ringside. He will sell it very tremendously. But uh, it is a bit of a ruse. Bobby Heenan will creep up again. He will trip Kato, and he will uh, allow Haku to get the victory over him. So, man, there's some very fun stuff in this match.
0: It is. It's a good match. Fuji does well. Of course, Barbarian and Haku. And they get a win, yep. which we were just talking about. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, a win they deserve. A team that should have uh, stuck together and probably should have been tag team champions. I mean, uh, I'll, uh, I don't know why I do this to myself. Think of all these great matches, which never happened. But Haku and Barbarian against the Legion of Doom? Are you kidding me? That could yeah. have been so great. So, oh, man.
0: And you're one step away from it. Just subbed them out with the Nasty Boys.
1: Yeah. I mean, sub anyone out for the Nasty Boys, but especially Haku and Barbarian. Like, uh, it could have been a beautiful thing. Sadly, it will not happen.
0: There's also a moment Bobby Heen will angrily and animatedly rip his jacket off. And it is the exact mannerisms that Ric Flair uses when he rips his jacket off. So I don't know what it is about. (sighs) These people, there are certain people in professional wrestling. It's not they're not portraying a character. They are just larger than life and they're being themselves. But they need to be in wrestling because the only way they can be themselves that big is in a space that would allot for it
1: yeah yeah it's great those two are cut very much from the same cloth you could bet that one influenced the other and vice versa and uh, they will get a chance to work together very soon we will even see a reference to that before this show is over
0: absolutely beautiful beautiful stuff i highly highly recommend that it's just one of those treasures that it was a deep dive uh (laughs) dig up and If you followed the managers like we followed the managers, it's also rewarding just to see kind of this conflict between Fuji and Bobby Heenan.
1: It's great. I love whenever the managers, the WWF, interact, uh, especially this one because you got these two guys, uh, two of the the big names, like the Mount Rushmore of managers of this time, and they're going at it together here. After the match, Heenan will jump in the ring. He will want to fight Fuji further. Fuji will throw salt in everyone's eyes. There's something about, like, you know maybe you maybe you're the kind of guy who's like oh what if hogan fought warrior and they're both invincible and maybe you're over there on that side but i'm like oh what if bobby Keenan, and mr fuji tried all their dirty tricks on each other yeah who would win out like that's that's for me that's what i want to see
0: i am on that side as well it it blew my mind because i didn't know it was coming and the minute it did more for me in half a second than warrior hogan or anything like that and that's not even knocking that it's just like I guess I kind of know what's going to happen there because I've seen it, but I don't know what happens. They start bringing out their dirty tricks. Like Fuji proved, like he's not going to do much for his wrestlers, but when it's when it's Mister Fuji on the line, you know he can get some things done.
1: <laughs> oh, you are right about that. I believe Bobby Heenan's last matches ever will be uh, some house show matches against Mister Fuji, or maybe even just one. Um, and I don't know if that was ever taped, but, man, I would have loved to see that. That that just is something that I would want to see.
0: These are the things you get so used to, as a fan, like fantasy booking things just for your own liking, knowing it's never going to happen. Mm. The reverse of that is when something that you never even knew could happen happens, and you stumble upon it.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. Ah. <sighs> So, uh, yeah, please check this out. I posted the link. It is on YouTube. It's not too hard to find. It should be on the network. It should be on the first page for everyone to watch. But uh, it is on YouTube, so do check it out. Uh, it's, it's very rewarding if you are a fan like you like Mystic and I are.
0: Absolutely. I'm also a fan of what's coming next.
1: Yes, we have uh, Barbarian taking on Bret Hart on the eve of SummerSlam. And uh, I'm a fan of this as well. This is a, This is a great match, I think. And not only a showcase for how good, again, Bret Hart has gotten, but also just uh, a quiet tribute to how good Barbarian is as well, because these two guys will match up very well. It'll be a preview of Bret Hart working with the big guys in the future and showing what he can do with them, something he's always very good at. Uh, There's there's a lot of good stuff in this match. I'm looking forward to talking about this as well.
0: Yeah, I think I got the first hints that Bret Hart's going to be a world champion, because Mm. Vince McMahon is in the booth, and... The way that they're talking about Bret Hart, you know, even though he's a smaller guy, like Bret Hart matches temper for temper, and Bret Hart, you know, attacks at the same level, and he breaks you down. Like, they're making him sound like Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. You know, they're giving him these powers that he possesses, but they're making them very dangerous. I feel like it's Vince McMahon's first, how can I excuse his height and make (laughs) him a champion?
1: Indeed, and I believe we are less... uh I don't know if we're less than a year away. We're definitely uh, right in that range of Bret Hart actually being WWF champion. And uh, that's pretty impressive. Like, that's a quick run-up to that title, considering where he's at now. But, yeah, no, they are establishing him as a major singles threat, and they're doing a very good job, and so is Bret as well.
0: Yeah, Bret's so good in this. Barbarian is good in this. The announcing, so Coach is now, we're going to get the debut of Coach later. The Coach is out there scouting. And this is the difference between Vince McMahon, especially Lazy Vince, who just falls into these tropes all the time, and Bobby Heenan, who's actually awake and alive. So they spend minutes, maybe, talking about how Coach scouts all of this stuff. Like, he's out there. He does his job. He scouts on behalf of Mr. Perfect. And then later, Vince just drops into his one of his tropes. Like, no doubt Mr. Perfect is watching from somewhere. And Heenan's like, no. No, he's not. That's why he has Coach.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We get this Vince McMahon, Bobby Heenan team, who's sort of the black sheep of the uh, core announcing teams, but uh, they do a good job, particularly Heenan. Yes, Heenan will try very hard to get Coach over, and no, it's not Jonathan Coachman, obviously. It's this other guy who will disappear very quickly. But he will be around for a little while as Mr. Perfect's manager, and uh, yeah, he'll be out there taking notes on a sheet. And they will talk about oh, he tapes all of uh, his clients' opponents and studies them and all this stuff. So they're they're trying to put him over Bobby Heenan in particular.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's like Hulk Hogan in a way. I don't know yeah. when Bobby Heenan is being generous or when he just knows he's so much better than other people that he can put him over generously and it's not going to do anything anyway. <laughs>
1: I never got that vibe from Bobby Keenan. You know, I can't say one way or another, but having watched a lot of Bobby Keenan, I never got that feeling. Yeah, I agree. So, <laughs> I especially now, I mean, he knows he's not going back to be a manager, so why not just put over the guy?
0: Yeah, he puts him over big. Um, they bring him out as coach, though. Like, like people are supposed to understand what, that it means something.
1: <laughs> yeah, his name is just Coach, and he's got like a whistle in his mouth all the time and he's a coach and just like a football coach i guess so i don't know it's it's lazy it's not a good gimmick uh they don't it it really does not go very far he'll be gone by like survivor series even i think so
2: yeah
0: another great moment this is a really good match that you definitely should watch Yeah. but it it ends with barbarian slamming uh Bret Hart from the outside apron into the ring and Bret Hart turning it into a roll-up and Bobby Heenan declaring, he held his fur, <laughs> which I've never heard before. So.
1: That's great. And Heenan still being a better manager to his man, even after he retired, than mm. anyone else would be. So that's a great point. Uh, it is also one of the first examples, I think, of a classic Bret Hart finish where uh, it's not even one specific finish, but just he will turn something into a pin – successfully that you will never see coming so yeah it's just barb trying to haul him in from the outside for a slam for a suplex something and brett will just like snap him down into a pinning predicament and he will walk away with that victory so some very smart stuff from Bret hart who will come up with a lot of these different creative finishes
0: and i think the way you said it too is so smart because Bret hart uses psychology it's not just oh he did a different kind of roll-up this time but there's something lazy and taken for granted in Barbarian doing that. Like, you could just let Bret Hart come back in the ring, but you're so much bigger that you're mindlessly picking him up and bringing him back in just because you can. And it's those moments of mindlessness, even those that you don't even knock the person for. It's just taken for grantedness where Bret Hart's going to slip in and execute. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's great stuff. And it's great, too, with Brett. Certainly one of his strengths is he's one of the guys who will wrestle differently against different guys. Mm -hmm. Like when he's wrestling Shawn Michaels, he'll probably try to win with the sharpshooter or, you know, kind of one of those ways. But when he's wrestling these big guys, he will often go to these different, uh, you know, methods to win. And he will just really switch up his methods of victory based on who he is wrestling. And I think it adds a lot to what to what Bret Hart does.
2: Yeah.
0: When you're very capable and you come from a family like that and you spend more time thinking about how to make it good than the people who are paid to do so, I I understand – the more being an adult and working in the world, I understand why Bret Hart was so valuable to that company.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Bret Hart is a guy that maybe you appreciate more and more as you get older. Certainly I have uh, over time. There's certainly a time where I thought Bret Hart, well, he's kind of boring, you know, he's not as interesting as some of these other guys, and uh, you know, tastes will vary, but certainly I have appreciated Bret Hart more and more as I have gone along in my fandom.
0: Yeah, we got we got a journey. I'm looking forward to so much, and a lot of it, like I said, because what I what offends me so much is how serious he takes himself, and what I'm looking forward to over the years is how seriously he takes all his angles.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: a complicated one yeah so um he is definitely out of the hard foundation now he is doing great stuff on his own and it's like it's like night and day you know because heart foundation never really excited either of us but as soon mm-hmm. as he goes out immediately we are praising him so i guess uh, you kind of know what was going on there
0: yeah it's definitely part of jim Ninehart is random and uneventful wherever he is and it's also part – Bret Hart got himself in a lot better shape over the years and I think got better in the ring. So I don't think first introduction to Bret Hart guy could be doing this stuff as easily.
1: Oh, no way. Yeah. As we said before, even on the show, uh, Bret Hart built his ability up brick by brick yes. more gradually than maybe any other wrestler ever. And uh, he did a wonderful job with it. And he will keep building. Like, he has not peaked even. You know, he will peak in 97, I think.
0: Yeah. His best work by far as a character is 97, and his ring work, I don't even know how you judge it because, like you said, he's going to get better, but he's going to be different between different opponents. He's going to be one of the only guys who's going to get good work out of Diesel. He's going to have good matches with The Undertaker. He's going to have good matches with Michaels. He's going to have good matches with Jerry Lawler, doink. Like You almost name <laughs> anyone, and he's going to give it the best that he can against them.
1: Yeah, he will. He'll, he'll do uh – Not as good as some, but he'll do some good stuff with Yokozuna. You know, he'll be in there with with Vader at times, and that's a gimme. But also, like, um, yeah, just all sorts of people. Uh, Bret Hart um, will definitely go up and down. I mean, he'll be with the Patriot at times, for God's sakes. He'll still be doing a good job. So there's a lot to unpack there. Man,
0: this is – I think we're past the time of looking forward to stuff, and we are in really good stuff again.
1: We are, yeah. It's amazing. In 1990, we were suffering so much that we were like, well, let's just skip some shows, you know, and it won't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, now now we wouldn't skip anything, I think, uh, aside from the uh, odd Nasty Boys match. So, yeah, no, we're really into the good stuff. We're in one of the best periods, I think, that the WWF will ever see. We've been looking forward to this period since day one. You know how many times we talked about these Jake Warrior segments that we're going to cover here at the end of the show?
0: Yeah, and I mean... Jake, is this is as good as you're going to get from someone who's already doing great stuff, and so I'm looking forward to getting into that, and I'm going to say it again and again. It also doesn't get any better than Paul Bearer.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, and this is to your point because you you brought up Undertaker. as kind of like a key element of all this, and you're very right about that, and we'll see because we're about to see one of the best segments that we have covered in a long time. And it will be adjacent to Jake Roberts' feud, but he will not be involved in it in any way. And yet, this will be a wonderful segment that we're about to talk about here.
0: Oh yeah, the the climate of the funeral parlor, Paul Bear's commitment to the role, the the front and center warrior casket with the pay no attention to the propped up casket in the corner. <laughs> this is all time great. Uh, moment footage stuff right here even by like we haven't gotten to the core of the depth and psychology and Jake and trust me and this by itself is one of those moments that should play on reels throughout the history of WWF
1: absolutely it's incredible and you made reference to this but imagine if Warrior had an angle anywhere good as this during his title reign maybe they wouldn't have had to throw the belt off him like before they wanted to you know maybe he actually would have drawn it's incredible. You said, like, the curse of the world champion right now is that they don't seem to get any good angles. As soon as you're not champion, suddenly you're getting, like, the best <laughs> angle of your career. So, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's, it's very weird.
0: It doesn't make any sense, but it has been consistent. Even I didn't really enjoy Hogan and Earthquake, but it had a story. Yeah. It had, like, Hogan retiring. My Warrior had the rude thing that had no story. And now Hogan's in a storyline of Slaughter that has no story. And this thing here is so rich. And it's the best that we may ever get out of the Ultimate Warrior because he has to do nothing except sit there and look afraid. And even sometimes he can't pull that off. But instead of looking afraid, he looks stupid and stupid looks close to afraid. So it's even better almost. I think this is the best that it ever gets. And you want. it's just a moment for me of losing my mind. And this is the ultimate warrior doing this. Yeah. But I never tied this together. Ultimate warrior talks about the gods told me at WrestleMania seven, that now is not the time. Mm. So we know that when ultimate warrior wrestled Randy Savage, he had this moment where he tried to walk away because he did not feel the power anymore. And the only thing that's keeping him up against the undertaker is he has turned that negative into a positive because the gods would not have reassured him at WrestleMania Seven just so he could die in a casket a few weeks later. And when that is brought back, man, my brain just exploded with the goodness of connected storytelling.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's really incredible. Yeah, Warrior, who we've had almost nothing good to say about this whole time. Now, clearly, will have his best year by far in 1991, and it's also the year he kind of flames out of wrestling for you know various reasons but uh, he already had uh, maybe his only great match certainly his best match with uh, Randy Savage at WrestleMania and that didn't even have like a very good angle around it it was just like savage interfered let's put our careers on the line sure why not you know but it's a great match and now we have what is clearly i think by far the greatest angle of Warrior's career and while I won't say exactly that he was like a huge part of making it great he will do his part you know, I, I will even praise Warrior in this segment because it would have been really easy for Warrior to just be Warrior and kind of, like, brush this all off. But he will actually sell it. He will act in a different way than he usually does. And, yeah, no, there's actually something here, even on the part of the Warrior. So it's really some incredible stuff.
2: I,
0: I can't, man. I, this is the kind of stuff I would just tamp out and live in if I could.
2: Mm, yeah.
0: Paul Bear too. Paul Bear is not a weasel manager, we find out. Like, Paul Bear will stand there with the ultimate lawyer, call him scared, uh, tell him he's going to be scared after he says he's not scared. Like, this is a different approach of the manager. Like, Paul Bear, I don't know if it's because he has this threat of the darkness and death. The only person that's going to break him is Jake Roberts, and that's because Jake Roberts is going to speak his language and threaten to expose it. Mm. But Paul Bearer is using the darkness and, I guess, the home base to really stand up and kind of go back and forth with the ultimate warrior.
1: He really is. I was going to say Paul Bearer uh, is a rare, uh, maybe even a singular manager who has no fear. But yes, you're right. He will show fear later when Jake Roberts uh, makes a threat. And yet we have to ask, even then, was the plan in place? Was Paul Bearer Mm. really showing any fear? I don't know. We will talk about that as we get farther on. But yeah, no heel has been allowed to show no fear in all the WWF so far. Even Andre showed fear at times from the snake or, uh, you know, from this and for that. Uh, but Undertaker, and Paul Bear, yeah, they really have no fear of anything. And it adds so much to have a villain like that. Um, it's great. It adds a huge component here.
0: It does. And I will stand by that until we see differently. But sometimes I overlook the practical, but maybe, you are um, more likely to stand and jaw with the Ultimate Warrior when you do have one casket propped up in the corner <laughs> of your of your funeral parlor.
1: <laughs> I would be certainly. Oh my gosh! All right, so let's get into the nitty gritty here. Uh, Paul Bear is on the funeral parlor, uh, which was an awesome talk segment that I have to just immediately show praise to. You know, it stands up with some of the best uh, ever, I think, and is far better than the stupid uh, barber shop, obviously. So. Good stuff with the funeral parlor. Uh, Warrior has accepted kind of an open invitation to show up on the parlor. Um, Randy Savage makes his comments. I can't help but think of my own career ending when I see the warrior, which is a nice touch as well. Uh, Bearer reveals that he has built a special coffin for the warrior. And he says uh, it's clear that warrior is scared of both the casket and the undertaker and warrior this is my first thing because like he'll the first thing he does is he will act quiet in this segment when he sees the casket and when he's checking it out and warrior rarely acts quiet so i'll give him a little praise there and then i'll kind of reverse that a little because soon he'll start yelling and he'll start kind of chewing the air the way he does you know but uh still there's some good stuff here in the setup already
0: yeah there's two things i want to point out here so I think last week I started alluding to the fact that Hulk Hogan reigned in the late 80s while Randy Savage suffered. Mm. And I think that's why Randy Savage is now going to reign while Hulk Hogan suffers. And the flip side, the same thing. Hulk Hogan was once vulnerable and took his career so much further. And Ultimate Warrior wasn't. Now Hulk Hogan isn't really vulnerable. And for one second in time, the Ultimate Warrior is. Mm. And you see that even vul- a slight vulnerability, what it could do for even an Ultimate Warrior.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know what could have happened if he hadn't uh, run off and you got a factor in the storage and everything. But, man, you got to imagine if Warrior somehow had continued on this path, had not kind of fallen apart, had not been uh, waylaid by the steroid stuff, if warrior continued like this, this is a guy who could have gotten back the title in time and maybe done a much better job with it. You know, maybe not because warrior is warrior, but at least he would have had a better shot. I think.
0: Yeah. He has some moments. even like, I think he's kind of pacing around Mm. that casket with his symbol on it. And again, I think it's the simple mindedness of the warrior that makes this so good because it's almost like, what does his symbol mean? The symbol means power. Between himself and the gods and the warriors and whatever else. I don't think he even understood that you could take that likeness and slap it on a coffin. Like, the minute he sees it, it's almost like he's sincerely thinking, does this mean that I need to die? Do I need to jump in the casket? I don't understand what's (laughs) happening here. So, they picked the right guy to manipulate. And ask Papa Shango, you know, the ultimate warrior, (laughs) that he cannot, like, he can't against this stuff. Like, this is his weakness. When nothing else hurts him, when nothing else phases him, this is his weakness again and again. And, man, imagine being simple-minded and weak to this stuff and being up against Paul Bearer, the Undertaker, and Jake Roberts, who you think is your friend.
1: Absolutely. Through all of this, through this segment and the ones with Jake and everything, I really started to think – and obviously this could go wrong, but I think you'll understand what I mean. I almost feel like Warrior should have had like a caveman – gimmick or something because the way he acts through all of this is like almost animalistic it's like subhuman it's instinctual he will just be like growling at times and like he doesn't know he like he, he will never call jake anything but snake man i think so mm. i i don't know i just see him in like animal furs and like he came from the past or something and i don't know i probably would have been too cheesy if they had tried it but god i feel like there's something like that going on with the warrior here
0: i think the difference with what you're saying is then too he has something to learn here he has something to benefit here whereas it's the other way around where he came from a place where he's superior to us and he openly hates all of us for being normals even though we're also (laughs) supposed to be his fan base like how is that better than what you're presenting
1: right right yeah no that's a great way to look at it for sure um so yes warrior will grab pallbearer and I got pr- like just the way Paul Bear holds his head is mm. so good. And if you know Bear, you know what I mean when I say that. So, so much praise to Paul Bearer. Um, warrior grabs him. Undertaker does pop out of that coffin, which was just innocently standing in the background, probably with like a bunch of other coffins and like dead guy stuff. And like, you wouldn't even think of it. So it is a wonderful touch to have him pop out of there in the first place. He will attack the warrior from behind. He will be uh, basically invincible to anything warrior tries to do who has ever manhandled the warrior like this ever like past present andre didn't manhandle the warrior like this so this is great stuff here this is real different than what we have seen before
0: it is and it runs deep into the details like you said whether it's paul bear undertaker wwf the way paul bear holds his head the way the undertaker sits up pops up appears the way he rolls his eyes I honestly believe that The Undertaker and Paul Bear live this thing. And when I'm on the funeral parlor, I have left the world that I understand and I am in a world that they live in. And you would think Brother Love, for example, imitating televangelists would be more realistic than Paul Bear and The Undertaker being like a, a half dead zombie and a funeral parlor guy. But the brother loved one was ridiculously over the top into me and never touched the ground. This thing is so rooted in reality and yet so imaginative at the same time. I believe every detail of it. And it's horrifying. Not just for the imaginative, it's horrifying for how much it touches the ground with
1: these two. Yeah. We've said it before, I will always say it. Authenticity is more important than realism. So mm-hmm. you can have Like, you could meet an evangelist in real life who's annoying, who's a blowhard, and you're okay, that's a recognizable person. You're probably not going to meet anybody like The Undertaker, and yet, one will compel you and the other will not, because there is an authentic feeling, there is an attention to detail, there is a, a depth, as you said, a rootedness to this that grounds it, not in the earth of the real world, but in the earth of your imagination, in a way that something like Brother Love never could...
0: Yeah, I felt bad at times for how we've covered Brother Love. But now, Paul Bear not only whooped him as the manager of Undertaker, but he whooped him on talk shows, too. So, like, there's just no conversation about it. Um, My favorite thing, as much as I love everything we just said, I think my favorite thing is WWF here, giving them, like, five minutes of precious, expensive airtime. So, like, Undertaker is going to keep knocking Warrior down, he's gonna keep using all these urns. And they're gonna lock him in the casket. And you would think that's almost where you cut out. But we're gonna get like five minutes of people trying to rescue Ultimate Warrior where it's like you're just burning up TV time. But for for me, like the same thing I said about Lord Alfred Hayes not knowing if he can interview Mounty or if Mounty's coming over. Like this real time awkwardness of men who are not characters running up there with different weapons and different tools to try to open the casket, it creates this authenticity, this tension, this unbelievable just just awkwardness and out-of-characterness where we have to spend our wrestling time watching people trying to save the life of the Ultimate Warrior who might die in a casket because The Undertaker and Paul Bearer have come into the WWF and so set their will upon this place.
1: Now, this is what makes the segment, really. I mean, it would have been good anyway, but the fact that they put Warrior in that casket, they seal it up, and I love the details because they seal it in, like, I don't even know. I assume this is how they really seal caskets. It's the little, like, uh, uh, crank that you put in and you turn it, and Bear turns it, seals it, locks it, puts it in his pocket, and they (laughs) leave. And it's great because it's like you really feel like Paul Barrett leaves and like, if warrior died, he would just be delighted. Cause he already had the coffin for him. And, mm. and just, yes, those minutes that they spend trying to get him out selling how dangerous this is. Like, can he breathe? Will he be okay? And I love like, nobody just runs out with like the right tool to open up a coffin. Like they are mm. trying chisels and crowbars and hammers, and they will like drill into the coffin This is incredible, man. This is one of the best segments we've seen because it feels so authentic. It feels, it's got that, that greatest feeling in wrestling of the NWO disrupting Nitro. It's like, you have to derail what was clearly planned. You have to do something that feels totally unplanned, totally in the moment. You have to try to get this guy out. They get him out. They have to like try CPR on him. And I was almost like, is that too much? And they sell it so well that I'm like, no, that works. Like, this all works. Imagine if you were a kid watching this. Like, I can't imagine if I was a kid watching this. This is incredible stuff.
0: Yeah, and if you're a kid watching this, your favorite wrestler is either Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. So you're also (laughs) probably six years old. Your favorite wrestler is the Ultimate Warrior, and you think that he's actually might be dying.
1: Right, yeah. I'm sure there were some kids who might have really felt uh, some fear in this segment. I'll say Benjamin Button... In uh, lpforums.com. Uh, recently, I think just late last year, wrote kind of a, a great series about sort of like a nightmare, um, some memories and such, talking about being afraid of Luna Vashan when he was a kid, uh, which I totally get. But man, if I were a kid at this time, I'd be looking at my closet at night and be like, is Undertaker going to pop out of there mm-hmm. like he popped out of that coffin? Is he going to put me in a casket where I can't breathe or something? Like, this is incredible. This is like too intense for the children almost. So, this is some great yeah. stuff right here.
0: And and Paul Bearer, too, because... Oh,
1: man, here's the, what I believe, Paul Bear wouldn't have to pop out anywhere. He could just walk in, and I would be afraid of him, I think, if I were a kid. Holy crap.
0: He sickly and perversely puts that thing into his pocket that he sealed the casket with. And I honestly... This is another reason this is so good. They're using, like, um, a crowbar. They're using anything they can get their hands on, because... You only got a little bit of time. And and Paul Bear, at this point, with nobody really knowing him, he is either so out of his mind that there's no point in even trying to talk to him, or so perverse that it doesn't matter. But you know you have a better chance to try to save this guy's life with tools that might not even work than to try to find Paul Bear backstage and negotiate hey, man, can you give me that thing so you don't murder that guy up there? Because it's Paul Bear's job to put people in caskets and i don't think you're going to get past that in the rhetoric
1: (laughs) Matt, two thoughts on that one if you go back and look for the undertaker in this period i hope you like body bags because you're gonna see the inside of one i think um and two do you think you could really even find these guys backstage if they didn't want to be found i don't think you could
0: yeah and you look at the way go back when you watch this and look at the way he puts that uh, tool into his pocket, like, I think it's an invitation. As you said, like you want to come back, you want to come back here and get it. Please feel free to do so.
1: (laughs) They will do some incredible stuff. Undertaker in these early days with showers. He will put them in body bags at times. I've seen him uh, in one instance where he will like be sprinkling grave dirt on the camera and just like, Oh, it's great. They just hit the mother load with this and it just goes off so well. It's so good.
0: I I honestly had no, I knew I was looking forward to this ninety one, but i ne- I had no idea that Undertaker and Paul Barrett would like they have swept me off my feet. Yeah. And I think I don't think it'll be like I think it's gonna be good in different ways, but I don't know if anything's gonna be like that beginning because again, part of the ethos here too is that none of this has been done, none of this has been tried, like you you don't have the comfort. Yeah. Even a dead man who is six years into a contract has vulnerabilities. Like He must want to work at this company pretty bad. <laughs> but these are men without backstories. Like you have no idea what they're capable of, and all that they're showing you is terrifying. Yeah. So I don't know that if it can ever be exactly like this again.
1: No, yeah, it's so good. And we will be watching Undertaker for a long time. We'll cover many parts of his career, but yeah, in some ways... Like, this stuff is compelling in a way that other stuff, you know, will have to be compelling in a different way later on. It's so good, and I gotta wonder, because we've talked about how Jake Roberts will, like, help The Undertaker in his early career. We help him, like, with how to get into character, and uh, he'll help book some of this early storyline stuff. And I gotta wonder if he's already involved here, because this has such a different flavor than some of the other stuff going on in the WWF. And we know Jake will be involved in this soon. So, I don't know. I have to wonder, and I have to wonder again, what if Jake really got that creative position in 1992 that he was promised? I don't know. Like, we could be seeing a very different world if that had happened.
0: Yeah. Jake Roberts' uh, fingerprints are all over this. Yeah. And uh, Ultimate Warrior is that between... Being locked in a casket in that snake pit, man. He's earning his money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is, yeah. I'll, I'll stand by it again. 1991 is definitely the best year of the Ultimate Warrior, and he's not even around for half of it, so I don't know what that says, but it's true. So
0: I will tell you, man, not only to watch this if you're listening, I could almost watch these segments again and, and act like I've never seen them and just do this all over again.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, they're so good. Some of the best stuff we've covered, I think, honestly, so this segment was amazing it was so good
0: yeah unbelievable and this is just the beginning this is kind of the how the door is open for a jake roberts to be able to come in because ultimate warrior who is notorious for not wanting friendships jake roberts is going to point out several times to come i didn't ask you you asked me
1: How compelling is it in wrestling? And it's crazy because they so often screw this up. But how compelling is it when a wrestler who is usually on top genuinely needs the help of someone else? What an interesting and unusual connection that forges between people, especially if they have to ask somebody they would not normally work with someone they would not normally partner with something maybe they have to convince they have to do something different they have to be outside the bubble that is so rich when that happens we saw look at savage and hogan the way they teamed up originally that was so damn compelling Mm -hmm. and it was a bit of a different flavor but it's the same thing at its core i think as warrior and jake trying to make a team up here and that will go a different way although no it won't really because eventually hogan and savage were at each other's throats as well so just just moments like that are so compelling to me and i I love it you know it's the flavor of hogan who needs to be encouraged by roddy piper after he gets the cross torn off his chest you know it's guys interacting in ways you don't expect in ways that are rich that are multi-layered that create histories it's just the best stuff that you can have in wrestling
0: yeah and if you if you believe in any way that we, we, we engage in story in part because we're trying to figure out how to be human and how to navigate this world. It becomes even more compelling because there's a double reason there because you're sitting up by instinct already because you know your history and you know someone is acting out of character and you understand the desperation that must be there, the need that must be there for someone to act out of character and you cheer for that. And you cheer for this coming together. Yet the second layer of that is that you know that human beings are habitual and that we are the way that we are for a reason. So even as you sit up, pay attention and cheer them acting out of character, you know that human beings cannot act out of character for too long. So somewhere this thing that you're cheering is going to fall on its head and then you're going to have to make another choice down the line.
1: And that's the richness of this stuff. Oh, it's so good.
0: Man, you're so right, though. Because that's, like, Hogan and Savage blew up. Jakin and Warrior blew up.
2: So <laughs> I'll we throw cheer you another, them. i Arn
1: Anderson and Dustin Rhodes, who <sighs> could forget. Uh, Dustin coming to Arn and that comment about the grandmother and all that stuff. Like, I love it when guys have to ask, and it always ends badly in the end.
2: Yeah.
0: This thing... Sting watches this stuff from afar and imitates it, but he's not experiencing it. But that's not the point here.
1: Yeah, he's hoping for the betrayal, so that's a little different. Yeah, when
0: yeah, you bring Ric Flair out to, to face Arn Anderson and Pillman, who are kind of a <laughs> new four horsemen, and he's like, "You better not betray me, or I'm gonna leave you for dead," you know?
2: Oh, so good.
0: We just you're supposed to feel all these things in the undercurrent, in the subconscious. Like you don't need they're not supposed to be shouted from the from the anyway. Yeah, good stuff, though.
1: <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, we have additional clips, and again, I hope uh, everyone can follow along with these. I've tried to make it as clear as I can. Uh, next clip we're gonna talk about is, uh, yeah, we got Bobby Heenan and Vince McMahon on Primetime together, and they've got, uh, they've got some stuff to do. This is the version of Primetime where they kind of had a little studio audience, and it was Heenan, uh, in the sweaters, and Vince McMahon and the weird, like, tracksuits and yeah. weird outfits. And uh, it's a very unique period for prime time. But I really enjoy digging up some of these clips. There's a lot more than we have looked at. But uh, just a little fun clip here between Heenan and Vince.
0: Yeah, Vince is so strange. <laughs> like, he's in the, his genius period right now because WWF is popping. And so when you watch prime time... There's got to be a good feel like when you create these characters that don't exist anywhere and then you put yourself as like a normal straight man amongst them. Like I, I don't know what that would feel like, but you would think it'd be gratifying to watch these characters that you brought to life and you stand among them in front of a live crowd that reacts to all of it.
1: It's got to be good, and it's funny too, because Vince McMahon eventually will be one of his own crazy creations. Mm. But here, yeah, he is very much the straight man, um, reacting with incredulity to uh, all the things that are happening around him.
0: (laughs) Oh man, I have purposely. I'm glad Saturday nights may even almost has been there because there's so much good stuff in prime time that I almost try to avoid some of it because. It's almost like I want to keep something ahead of me that yeah. I can still watch that would be new. But it's a different energy. Like when we watch Saturday Night's Main Event, when we watch Primetime, when we watch weekend shows, when we watch Coliseum, all of it's WWF, but the vibe is slightly different on all of them. Oh,
1: each yeah. Each of them. No, for no, sure. I, I love Primetime in particular. If one day we do, you know, Primetime, the Legacy series, I'll be there for sure. I will love every minute of that. And there's so many, all these versions of Primetime, because you've got all the classic stuff with Heenan and Monsoon behind the desk, and that's great, and they go off, they do things, and they're wonderful. But then, yeah, you have this studio audience, which is first Heenan and Vince, and then Heenan and Sean Mooney, which we'll also see some of later, which is wonderful. And then you got the round table, and that's got its own flavor too, and it's just like so many rich pockets of WWF history, it's almost never ending. It's really incredible stuff.
0: Yeah, because uh, we watched this then YouTube last night was recommending the roundtable debate: mm-hmm. who yep. would win the Royal Rumble '92, who Ric Flair should face at WrestleMania. So I just watched like Slick, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, Mr. Perfect just yelling at each other. Two two shows in a row with predictions, and <laughs> you know, it, oh my god, I don't even know how to. Yeah, like if you listen to the show, even this one episode, you get the flavor. But it's that it's Lord Alfred Hayes? It's all these things I said again and again and again. Like these guys so invested that they're putting their opinions on the line. They're standing up and yelling at each other because it matters and they don't know who's gonna win, but they have stake in it. The only weird one before WrestleMania, they, so they had a, which is a masterful way to rip people off. But like you, could, you could call five nine hundred numbers to vote to see who should face. <laughs> Rick Flair <Play. laughs> and it was, yep. that was Hulk Hogan Randy Savage, Undertaker Roddy Piper and Sid Justice oh I
2: love and that though
0: <laughs> I don't know how this was allowed to happen Mr. Perfect and Bobby Heenan were co- actively calling because they wanted Hulk Hogan because they thought he'd be the easiest to defeat <laughs>
1: right yeah that's uh i remember that that's really incredible stuff oh my gosh
0: it's Dude. unbelievable that they got away i don't know what the psychology and then weirdly because they're gonna it's gonna be savage and slick wanted to be roddy piper because he thought roddy piper's on a roll girl monsoon thought it should be hulk Hogan. um uh, visit man wanted it to be undertaker the only one that nobody wanted it to be was Randy savage
1: <laughs> uh, maybe that's just misdirection but maybe yeah i don't know it's strange yeah especially to have heated and perfect voting for Hulk Hogan, like and you think, Oh, maybe it's just under the radar, but Vince is standing right there at the table, so it's like something's going on here. I don't know. I love that period though, when it's so up in the air about who will face Ric Flair. That is gonna be just as rich as anything we're talking about here, I think.
0: All this is together. This is this is is all I am back around, so folks who listen intently might remember i was teaching the alchemist last semester we were talking about omens well we're back around to that part of this semester and one thing that uh, santiago who is told is that all things are one within the personal legend and we are in a time from here to at least kind of mid-92 all things are one and it's all feeding each other and it's all coming together we are We are in the richness of it, folks, and we are going to enjoy every bit of it.
1: It's so good, and it's so shocking to compare to 1990. I don't know what Mm. happened, but this is just wonderful, and that was just (laughs) not Not. so. (laughs) It's amazing, but I'm grateful for it.
0: I am grateful for uh, these uh, (laughs) Andre segments that you have blessed us with.
1: (laughs) absolutely we got a couple of these and uh well we can just talk about them both together here because uh andre will first meet sensational sherry she will approach him in a hotel lobby she'll kind of fawn over him and she wants to manage him and andre like you just got to look at his face during this because like <laughs> his eyes his eyes will open so wide and he will like smile and act uh you know he's almost wiggling his eyebrows at her or something yeah. like <laughs> it's great uh, he turns her down by way of, uh, whacking her on the butt, which is not how you should turn down a woman, but, uh, that is just how it goes, and, uh, Sherry runs off, uh, offended, as you might expect, but it's a great little segment here.
0: It is, she says, what a man, and he gets a big grin on his face, <laughs> then she says, I will do anything, and his eyes go huge, and he's like, anything, and she goes, she again confirms anything, and so he, he bends her over the bar. We find out a little bit about Andre the Giant, and <laughs> but you know somehow she still doesn't become his manager. So it was a nice play though. I, I'm glad it didn't happen though because I enjoyed that segment greatly. But I just she would have put Andre and Teddy DiBiase back together. <laughs> no thank you.
1: Uh, I was just thinking she couldn't have been Andre's manager because he wears the plain black and she wouldn't have had anything to wear, you know, to match <laughs> up with him. So was that yeah, her was wrestling
0: attire? I can't remember what she wore
1: uh she wore like her own stuff yeah but uh you know her her iconic look is like matching up with her clients because like all the way to harlem heat she'll have like harlem heat gear and stuff so yeah. like yeah she's got to match up with her guys so
0: i think she had a better try uh slick is go. slick's about to make his uh effort and again <laughs> i think he makes some mistakes with mentioning his roster to andre the giant <laughs>
1: dude uh slick will pull up in a parking lot uh, in a limo very nice car andre will be coming by slick declares hey i, I want to be your manager you know you-, you could have a beautiful car just like this one or even better and he does mention his roster which indeed may be a mistake andre tells slick hey you should clean the garbage out of your truck and <laughs> slick looks in he can't believe there'd be garbage in his trunk but guess what he's the garbage in the truck because andre <laughs> will throw him in close the trunk, send the car on its way, so it's a great segment, this is very fun stuff.
0: We are reminded that Andre the Giant is not just a great wrestler, he's a great actor, and I wish they had just kept this kind of stuff up with Andre. Oh,
1: so good, Princess Bride, best movie a wrestler's Mm -hmm. been in, still, I think, to this day, and he's he's so fun in that, so
2: it's great.
1: Uh, there are more of these. Unfortunately, I couldn't find them all. Mr. Fuji will try to woo him. Uh, and he will end up with his face in a cake. Again, food mm-hmm. will be involved. I don't know why. Bobby Keenan will try to make up with Andre the Giant. Uh, he will try to shake his hand so they can be friends and allies again, and Andre will squeeze his hand until uh, he's on the floor begging for mercy. Um I don't know if there's one with Jimmy Hart. I can't remember, but almost everyone comes at Andre and Andre is not having any of it. You know, he's back to uh, his pre WrestleMania three self here.
0: Yeah. This is the same Bobby. Heenan who a a couple of decades later will, I think pull up in a limo uh, to court Bobby rude with other managers in TNA.
1: Yes. Oh man. That's great stuff.
0: This is so great. Uh, Watch this stuff. Enjoy this stuff. It's Andre, the giant. I wish we had all of them because it's just special. And why would they not? Like, this man becomes a free agent. I don't care where he's at in his career. You're going to court him. You just are.
1: Oh, yeah. These are amazing. These are amazing segments. I love this stuff. Um, all this stuff. Whenever they do stuff with the managers, you know, it's like it's top tier. You know, they, they have such a – they have maybe the best complement of managers they've ever had right now because I think they still got – Kind of the big five, as I think of them. But now they got Paul Bearer, too. So it's like, you know, it's an unbeatable group of managers you've got here.
0: I think one of our best calls early in this series was that it is the announcers and the managers who make this world so authentic in the way that we want it to be.
1: Oh, absolutely. In a bit, we're going to talk about the bachelor party. And the the first part of that is going to be, like, all of these non-wrestlers... That make this company so great all together. They're gonna kind of have their moments together, and yeah, they are so integral to what makes this work. Uh, it's really incredible stuff.
0: Paul Barrett could not be one because he's too new and too fresh and too special to have his face in a cake or and be put in a trunk or to be bent over a bar. Right. Uh, at this point in his time, but man, even Andre visiting the funeral parlor would have been interesting.
1: Oh, I would have loved it more just having more of andre at all would have been so good i think maybe we said it last time but yankee andre and undertaker at this time against Mm -hmm. each other god i gotta chill just thinking about that
2: yeah
0: and when they're talking about making they had to make the casket extra large for the ultimate warrior what in the world are you gonna do for andre the giant
1: (laughs) i want to see that casket Oh, my goodness. Holy smoke. We'll see some big caskets, but none Andre-sized, yes. I think. So, holy smokes.
0: Even that's a nice detail, though, of Paul Bearer, I think, doing the job. Because I would think, even though Warrior, when you meet these people, they're they're so much larger than life. But I wouldn't think that you have to emphasize making the casket larger for Warrior. But it's such a nice touch. It, again, it's the fact that if you don't take Paul Bear seriously, that he's into this stuff, you make a mistake not doing so.
1: I have a very clear mental picture of Undertaker and Paul Bear creating a certain coffin for Yokozuna in about uh, three years down the line. So that's probably the closest we're going to come. So we know they had the tools to make those uh, really large coffins. We're going to see a few of them as we go forward here.
0: Yeah. I think Kamala and Yoko. Um, Kamala
1: will have one too. Yep. You're right about that.
0: So, uh, man, this, this whole Undertaker Yoko thing like, it's, not only were they great friends uh, behind the scenes, but, man, they have two of the most similar first years in the history of WWF. So, hmm. you know, because Yoko, Yoko has a ridiculous first year in WWF as well.
1: Oh, yeah, he does. So, that's a great point. I forgot that they were close, but they were kind of part of that same, uh, not the click, but a clique, yeah. you know. So, that that's a great point as well. That's very good stuff. Oh,
0: man. <coughs> man, I, <laughs> this is the stuff that i like best in the legacy series when i get taken away by a narrative that i didn't even plan to halfway enjoy It's not that this stuff i didn't plan but man like i want to know everything about the undertaker and Paul Bearer right now and that's just a different level than i experienced it the first time around
1: oh yeah no they're they're really standing out as a great part of the show so we will see a lot more of them as we go forward I am dedicated to continuing uh, to cover bonus footage, even as Saturday Night Men event dries up. So we will we will see how we will do that exactly, but uh, we will see a lot of great stuff in the future here.
0: And just for the record, on something to Russell, um, Conrad asked uh, Bruce, is it Bruce or Vince McMahon that, that feels like every time food is involved it has to be a food fight? And he said that Vince McMahon is just in love with food fights and wants one every time there can be one, so there you go
1: <laughs> apropos of nothing but yes that's not surprising at all so a uh, very good point there <laughs> what made you jump to that
0: <laughs> you know, you mentioned earlier about the food fights and that you didn't know why that i think food you ended up with, like with the cake and uh, why there's the always kind yeah, of that
1: okay i gotcha no that's totally a vince McMahonism. absolutely so yeah. i'm not shocked at all oh my god what a strange man um <laughs> All right, moving along, our first, uh, well, not first, but one of many Jake Roberts things we'll be talking about. Uh, Yeah, this is a storyline which doesn't quite measure up to all the stuff he will do with Undertaker, with Warrior, with Savage down the line. But still, I think it's a pretty compelling storyline to kind of bridge the gap between those. And maybe this traumatic event, combined with being blinded recently, all this stuff, maybe this will kind of push Jake to a darker place than he has been in before. Uh, So we will see clips of a match. (coughs) between Jake and uh, earthquake and the match will never even really uh, clearly get started, but they will have their fight and uh, the referees will come down and they will kind of make Jake put Damien away because he had put Damien out in the ring and Quake had tried to flee. Um, But in a, uh, a pretty famous moment, I think earthquake will tie Jake up in the ropes. He will take Damien out from under the ring and uh, he will crush that sack under his body and he will kill Damien. So that that is a long-standing member of the WWF roster who will bite the dust in this segment. And uh, I got to give credit especially to Jake and praise him. Because when he's tied up in that ropes, he's trying to get out. Man, he looks desperate. He looks hurt. He really sells the hell out of this. So there's some good stuff going on here.
0: Yeah, I like your point that perhaps this is part of what leads Jake Roberts down the path he's going next. Because maybe he breaks. And Jake Roberts... You know, unfortunately, we're gonna get a lot of his personal story, even as as storyline, as the years go on. Yeah. And I don't think that he is the kind of guy like he can wreak havoc on other people, but I don't think he takes havoc being wreaked on him very well.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true uh, in a number of ways. So, yeah, I mean, what a tough year for Jake. You know, you get blinded, um, and you get uh, your your best friend, like your 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 pet killed in the ring and nobody comes out to help you by the way mm. and then yeah he will not even end up being allowed to kind of attend the babyface party for randy savage that we'll talk about later so i mean what a year for jake roberts uh there's maybe no wonder that he ended up embracing his darker side as we go along here
0: it's another one that was was a long time coming and not that he was not a good baby face, but it's what i said earlier the fact that almost he was a good babyface and you got used to him being a babyface longer than a heel made you think that he was never going to be a heel maybe. But like there's no world that exists that he wasn't eventually going to do this. But I think it was Earthquake and all his silliness, you know, <laughs> watching Nick Jr.'s uh, face just like drop on your snake and kill it. And then you, you're having a dramatic grown up scene while they're having a Nick Jr. scene on the same camera. And this is hard to do. And he, he snapped and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna do this other thing. I am going to. If, if every storyline is going to be someone doing something horrible to someone else, I'm gonna start being the one who does the horrible thing and not the one that has it happen against them.
1: Yeah, I mean it's pretty incredible when you think about it that Jake Wood was a babyface for so long because his character does not exactly scream babyface. Like he's creepy. He has a, a huge snake, which is not really associated with uh, you know good guys. Um, He started out as a heel. He only turned face because he was so damn popular, you know, against Hogan and all that. So it always felt like his home was as a heel, and yet mostly he will be a baby face, so maybe he's just returning home here.
2: Yeah,
0: and I think the only reason he got to be a face for so long is because the faces in WWF are so horrible, you know?
1: (laughs) Yep, you got it. So
0: he wasn't exactly just a nice person at the time, (laughs) but I I like this in context because – That snake has almost become a symbol to terrorize Hills and a picture of a partly the reason nobody came out to help him because his best friend and his partner was the one being destroyed. So I think someone that believes in symbols like Jake Roberts has to at least sit back and say something very traumatic just happened to me. And that has to mean something. I cannot let that not mean something. And so what does it mean? It means something needs to change. Well, I can't turn good. I am good. So I need to do something else. And I don't think Jake Roberts could go through a trauma like that and not make meaning out of it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's uh, Damien. is kind of an evil name also. But his next name is going to be called yeah. Lucifer. So what does that tell you?
2: Yeah, heads so. up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: indeed good guys don't usually run around with lucifer so that's just a clue for you right there um yeah it's oh, good he, stuff
0: he's gonna say his secret weapon um pretty much is over his shoulder at all times and it's lucifer but but it's not his snake <laughs> so. oh that's
1: so good yeah we're gonna talk yeah. about that in a few minutes here so um just keep moving so we don't run out of time on the really good stuff uh we do have a clip of sensational Sherry on primetime that I just had to include because uh, I think it's hilarious and great for the segment where Sherry uh, gives advice to the lovelorn. It is called. She reads a letter from a sad, from sad women and basically tells them they should dump their loser husbands and find new men who have a lot of money, which uh, it's just such a great segment. It's hilarious. I love Sherry. Check it out. It's very short. It's very fun.
0: It is. Props to Sherry. I don't know if this is after Andre or not, but she's able to sit down, which, you know, just shows great um, killing power <laughs> for Sherry. And then I'm the, the, this, the first woman is upset. The second woman is very happy with her life, but she gets the same advice as the first woman.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Hey, you know what? Sherry is nothing if not someone who commits all in. So, yeah, she will tell anyone, happy or sad, find a guy with money, and it will be better off for you.
0: Yeah, and it, uh, it felt a little bit like something had happened to Sherry and because uh, it wasn't like, oh, find someone with the money and you'll be happy. Like, find someone with the money because the other person – like, oh, maybe you did love Randy Savage. Who knows?
1: Maybe. Maybe. She really could have gotten hurt out of there, although she yeah. threw the first kick, so we can only go so far with that.
0: That's true. <laughs> Good point.
1: Oh, man. Uh, All right, we got to move to a very sad segment now. It's one of the saddest segments that I can think of seeing. Um, It's the funeral parlor. It's great. We have Mr. Perfect coming out. He will introduce his former manager, Mm -hmm. a man who took him to great heights and championships, Bobby Heenan. Mr. Perfect says he urged Bobby Heenan to focus on his career as a broadcast journalist. Heenan comes out as well. He compares himself to Walter Cronkite and others and says he will put them all to shame. He turns Mr. Perfect over to the coach, who talks with a whistle in his mouth and just... uh, (sighs) It had to happen, because Heenan uh, was getting too beat up physically, but it's a damn shame. And it's sad to me always that it's such a nondescript segment where this happens. Like I always imagine, what if Bobby Heenan's managing career is on the line at SummerSlam against Bret Hart? I don't know how they would have put that together, but, God, like, a great match becomes even better, I think, with that kind of thing on the line. I think any fans would have been screaming for Bobby Heenan to be forced to retire instead of just walking out like this.
0: That's a great point. That would that would be a draw, too. Um, it's hard to be in the helper business. Mm-hmm. Like Bobby Heenan, how many times has he had these, like, coronations that he's attended, you know, celebrating Kings? And all these things, but like when it's time for you to go away, it's quietly in the dark, in the shadow with nobody celebrating.
1: It's a shame, yeah, if only he had a manager to kind of throw him the right kind of party, but, you know, he doesn't, so. Yeah, it's sad, (laughs) it's the end of an era for sure.
0: He should have been low-key trying to turn the bachelor party into a retirement party.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved to see that, that would have been perfect, oh my gosh.
0: I pause for one second where coach we can live in a world where coach says on WWF who wants to be a mere football coach because we know Vince McMahon does the XFL does anything <laughs> except pro wrestling but for five seconds we can pretend like managing Mister Perfect's better than working in the world at large.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, good point. Uh yeah, this coach thing—the less said, the better. I'm just yeah.
2: gonna
1: leave it alone. Agreed. Yeah. But Bobby Heenan is still moving and shaking because our next couple clips. Bobby Keenan, uh, he will make the debut of the WCW Championship on WWF Programming. He will show up to Wrestling Challenge. He will shock his co-commentators, Gorilla Monsoon and Jim Neidhart, with it. He says it belongs to a close, personal friend. And uh, he talks about, (laughs) this is a talking point, comparing this title to the WWF title is like comparing ice cream to horse manure and the same to uh, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, respectively. And yes, he does name Ric Flair as the man who uh, may or may not be coming to the company soon. So this is very exciting times. You know, this is a good pickup for Heenan after walking out of the managing position.
2: Yeah, this
0: is it blew my mind at the end because Gorilla Monsoon, number one, knows Bobby Heenan better than anybody, and Mm -hmm. he has no confidence in anything Bobby Heenan says or claims. So he's like, (laughs) He just interrupts it. You know the belts out there. He's like, "This man have a name." And it's not like I want to find out his name. It's just like there is no man, there is no name. Get out of here. <laughs> and then he says, "Rick Flair."
2: Mm, man, yeah. What a moment! Yeah. Like,
0: it, it blows my mind to even imagine comparing the WWF title and Hulk Hogan in a in a negative light on WWF TV, even for a storyline. But then just the proclamation of that name. This is is something that I don't think I even had the skill this many years away from it to go back and, and to even be able to articulate what it meant to try to put Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in the same frame. It is fantasy of fantasy, and nobody thought it was going to happen. And I think it was so big and so fantastical that even when it happened, it didn't happen.
1: <laughs> you may be right about that. Uh, there, things will not go... As expected, there will be some things left on the table. There will be some mistakes made. But still, I really love Ric Flair's run in the WWF. I will have mostly, I think, only positive things to say about it. We'll talk about the mistakes. We'll talk about what was maybe, uh, you know, not fully realized. But, man, there's some wonderful stuff coming here. And I love that it starts with Bobby Heenan. I love it starts just with speaking the name, showing the title. Flair's not even here yet. They're putting some real hype behind this.
0: It's also a dangerous... Bobby Heenan's a dangerous man at times. Heels are dangerous because you get storylines where the heels and faces kind of like each other. They joke around. They don't even like each other. They feud. But can you imagine the Vince McMahon, who is the straight man announcer, but he's also the owner, and they know he's the owner, but they get to hang out with him like he's an announcer because he's also an announcer. And Bobby Heenan's his co-host, and then he turns on his TV, and Bobby Heenan's up there with the WCW title announcing Ric Flair. Like... That is a dangerous move that Bobby Heenan is pulling off. Half broadcast announcer, half advisor. He is still making moves in the WWF.
1: He is. And yeah, to the credit of both him and the WWF, he will never really stop making those moves. You know, he'll be associated with uh, Luger. He'll be associated with kind of things all the way towards the end. And uh, even without being a manager, I love that he still has his hand in the storylines because I think it helped him as a commentator, to stay really invested in these storylines.
0: Yeah. I just don't know, man. It's weird how much talk you give. Oh, Medusa showed up on Nitro and threw that uh, women's title in the trash. Well, also, Bobby Heen showed up with the uh, um, (laughs) NWA world title and Bucks Liger won a toy belt from Barry Windham at Great American Bash 1991. But because it was not the Monday Night War, I don't know if it gets the same. Like, yeah. It almost feels, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like something Vince McMahon would turn down even though he shouldn't, but lo and behold, here it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really does happen, and uh, you know, I think part of it is they don't throw it in the trash. You know, if they yeah. had, then that probably would have been a bigger conversation, so. Oh, wow.
0: It's bigger to not, though, because. Yeah. It's just, you're not allowed. I don't know who okayed this, but it's a heel. It's a WCW world title and they're on WWF TV announcing that it's better than Hulk Hogan's championship. Like I, w- I would almost think that if one fan left the arena thinking it might be better, Vince McMahon would like pull the plug on it. But you know, <laughs> fortunately he does not.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of this will go very well and we'll talk about all the twists and turns as we go along. But here, even before SummerSlam, they're dropping this in here. So it's another example of, um these storylines which are not segmented they are interacting they are moving all over the place and they're connecting with each other and it's also um the the harbinger of the guy who's going to ride in on a white horse and save the uh, the world title scene from the depths that it has sunken to and that's rick mm-hmm.
0: man well said well said <laughs>
1: All right, so now we're gotta get we going to get on a big run of Jake Roberts here all the way to the end, I think, because Jake has got some big stuff going on, building up. First off, got a clip of him on primetime. I included this so we could see some Bobby Heenan and Sean Mooney uh, together, as well as Jake Roberts. Uh, the gimmick here is uh, Jake accuses Bobby Heenan of taking Lucifer. Heenan begs off. He runs away to try to find him, to try to find Jimmy Hart, who is also on the show. Jake uh, hints to Mooney. That the snake isn't lost at all. He's just uh, there to kind of make Heenan sweat. Jake actually used the snake to terrify Jimmy Hart. So some fun stuff here. Um, just a little glimpse of what's going on on primetime with these guys.
2: Yeah,
0: I love Sean Mooney. Love. Oh, so good. Lord Alfred Hayes and Sean Mooney are so relaxed. They just, they, they, they make it easy. And so.
1: <laughs> in such Jimmy different Hart stuff, ways, too.
0: It feels like America's Funniest Home Videos with the Jimmy Hart portion in the live crowd.
1: Totally. Oh, wow. Give me big flashbacks when I was a kid. I used to watch that all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. All right. So that's just a fun little segment. We're getting a little bit more serious stuff. Jake Roberts uh, comes on the Funeral Parlor, I believe. This is in April. And uh, I got to say, when he comes out, there's a massive ovation for Jake Roberts. He's still just one of the absolute top baby faces in the company. It's funny how soon he's going to be making that turn. But uh, sometimes it's better to turn people when they're very popular because you get kind of a big reaction out of that.
0: Yeah. And you said wisely, we're going to get two funeral parlor segments with Jake. And we don't know if this is happening, if they're already working together or if they're not. But man, in the first one, Paul Bearer comes at him to provoke him. He says there's been a death in your family. Uh, Did you have a choir? Did you sing? Did you shed a tear? And he is just poking and poking at Jake Roberts. And I don't know where the relationship was at this time, but you pay a price to best Jake Roberts, especially verbally. And like Jake Roberts is going to hit him between these two segments with everything um, under the sun. I I think if I'm Undertaker and Paul Bearer and I realize I'm on a run like this, I do whatever it takes to get Jake on my side because I think he's the only one that would know how to expose them. If need be.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you're right, and yet I somehow feel sure that it was Jake who came to Paul Bearer and mm-hmm. put this together in the end, because I don't think, I don't think Paul Bearer could have convinced Jake to do anything that he didn't want to do. Um, but Jake, oh, he could lure anybody into anything. I think he could. Uh, we'll see it with the Warriors, so we'll see evidence of that as we go along.
0: Yeah, Jake says to him, "Let me ask you something, my man. Are you afraid of another?" You've got to fear the living. Those are the ones who will hurt
2: you.
1: Oh, yeah. No, this is so good. I love Jake in this. He's got all these great lines, as usual. I love Barrett, too, because when he's asking about, like, the funeral stuff, he's so salacious about it. Like, <laughs> like he wants those details uh, just for, like, his own personal enjoyment or something. Something kind of sick perverse about it he's so delighted by like any details he can hear (laughs) about a funeral about somebody dying it's so good it's done so well
0: oh my gosh that is the best read of paul bear like the man is a pervert but like he knows what he, he knows what he likes and jake roberts is is tuned in enough to know that paul bear is getting his jollies and and jake is not really a man to deliver such things so he he goes after again if he keeps hitting that narrative, that being afraid of the dead and walking among the dead is not really something special. Like, it's just you're afraid of everything else. Like, you you, you have mastered this tiny little portion of being human, this death portion, but you, you're afraid to walk amongst anybody who's alive. Like, that's a threat, I think, especially for Paul Bear. So, I again, I don't know what's going on here, but we at least see the threat that these two can cause each other uh, if they were to be against each other. If I had to guess,
1: I'd say Bearer and Jake were really at odds here in terms of the characters uh, because we'll see at the end, Bearer will look in his own casket and find that Lucifer the snake is already there and Bearer yes. will kind of flee that, which is a great moment. Uh, but I feel like before the next one we're going to talk about, I feel like maybe the Alliance has already been started behind the scenes and I even believe that maybe Jake didn't know who he was going to betray until we're going to cover this thing that happens at the bachelor party. Maybe that was mm. an exciting moment, but I think there's already maybe a conversation going on behind the scenes before this next segment that we talk about.
0: I like that too. Yeah, because I think Jake Roberts probably doesn't have his mind up made up till he makes it up. And I think Paul Barrett lo- probably doesn't really care – whether Jake betrays them or, or warrior, like he, he enjoys even way later with the undertaker and Kane. Like he, he can be, he can be a sick man
1: when he wants to be. (laughs) And he often does want to be. And yet, I don't know the reaction when Jake talks about sharing kind of like the dark secrets with the baby faces, the reaction Paul Bearer has to that. I feel like there is a hint of truth of authenticity to that in this next segment. So maybe there is something that Paul Bearer cares about Jake doing on his side.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The second one, I think it's where it, it's the first time, at least in the footage that we watch, the first time you see Paul Bearer sweat.
1: Yes. Yes. I would have to agree. Uh, So yes, we come back some months later. Jake again is on the funeral parlor. Jake says, if death ever comes looking for him, he will jerk the door open, look in his eye and spit. Mm. And, uh, God, it's a great line in and of itself. Um, Jake says he has something with him, a secret that won't let him fear death. He says it's Lucifer, but it's not the snake. It's the one that Mm. sets on my shoulder, the one that sets on every man's shoulder. So some great
0: lines here as well. Yeah, this stuff is, this is fantastic. Um, Paul Bearer again, throughout all these segments, he has been the guy to provoke It doesn't matter if it's Warrior If it's Jake Roberts But when he starts talking about sharing the secrets of the Undertaker Paul Bear is is screaming You can't do that And he's trying to demand with a wave of his hand That Jake Roberts come back onto the set After he leaves with Jake Roberts When Jake Roberts is done Jake Roberts is done So uh, this is also where we get trust me So he says Warrior has to do two things He has to release all the fear of death And he has to trust me that that, um,
1: that that delivery on trust me is wonderful i gotta praise paul bear again because i can hear so clearly um when jake first threatens it paul bear the way he said he says oh you wouldn't do that would you it's <laughs> <laughs> just like oh it's perfect like oh the delivery of this this is such a great segment as well and just the the fact that jake can make this threat he's been a babyface all these years and yet he still kind of dwells in darkness in one of these randy savage even says well jake he kind of dwells with these kind of people and it's such a great little line it's almost a throwaway, but yeah jake is a little darkness a little creepiness maybe he does have these secrets that could kind of turn the undertaker on his head it's so well done i love it
0: this is his top shelf stuff it is Again, if you like heels better than baby faces, I think Miss Van said it best. But we're getting our Hogan Warrior stuff this week. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's so great, yeah. And just look how many directions these guys can go in at once, because Jake is still kind of tangled up with Earthquake, but now he's in with Undertaker, and he's getting in with Ultimate Warrior, and Ultimate Warrior is over there with Hogan and Slaughter as well, and those guys, and, like, all these people are so interconnected. They can do more than one thing at once, and it just it feels so authentic, like this world is really getting built up and tightly knit, and it's so rewarding.
0: Yeah, this is when it's at its best every single time. 97 will be like this. The Attitude Era early will be like this. It's always when this world comes together like this. NWO, WCW will be like this. I don't know why we avoid it so much because it's always it always accompanies some of the best times in pro wrestling.
1: I can only imagine... Like, I've never written a wrestling show. I imagine it is harder to write a show like this. It must be easier to just write everyone off in their own little individual storyline. But, man, it is so much more shallow, so much less compelling. So, if you can, you know, do the work, and you will definitely please and draw in fans like myself and The Mystic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And now it's just – it gives you the excuse for Jake Robertson, Warrior, so – Jake is irritated with them. Ultimate Warrior needs help. So as weird as the next thing is coming, and with Jake, every time Jake says, trust me, he's pretty much saying, I'm going to betray you. But because we just established what we just established, you can't say 100% that that's going to happen.
1: Right, and I I still think Jake maybe didn't even know which way he was going to go here. You know, Maybe he really could have taught Warrior how to not fear death, how to not fear the Undertaker, how to be able to overcome that stuff um but in the end uh you know we know which way it's gonna go and man these vignettes these three vignettes we're gonna talk about man this is some of the best stuff that i know of in wrestling like i've been looking forward to this stuff since day one
0: yeah this is what the warrior was born to do and didn't even know it
1: (laughs) oh my gosh yeah so we have these three vignettes and um In the first one that we're watching, I can't remember which one, uh, one and two, might have been switched around, but uh, it doesn't really matter. Jake will walk through Graveyard. He will talk about what the Warrior has to do. He says that he will have to put the puzzle together and do the hardest thing, which is trust him. We come upon Warrior, who's digging up a grave. He is literally uh, digging up the past, perhaps. Uh, He uncovers a skull and uh, he kind of makes grunts and he makes a lot of these noises like a caveman. Like I said, B- Jake says he must bury the warrior. The warrior says, and this is great, I'll give credit to the warrior here because he says, Before my gods, I will trust you again, Snake Man. Bury me. It's probably the best thing J- the warrior ever said in his whole life. So. Man, this is a great segment right here.
0: It is. That line is up there with the Jake stuff in this.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Something about it just works perfectly, so I got to give credit, absolutely.
0: And whoever filmed it, they deserve as much credit because then we're going to get the alternate warrior buried up to his head right after that, you know, and it's just, it's like, who let these people loose? Like, common sense says, rain them back in, but fandom says, let them keep going.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Where he's buried up to his chin, Jake places the skull in front of him so he has to stare in the eyes of the skull and he leaves him there buried till morning. And man, oh, I love these segments. They're so incredibly good.
0: And like, how many of these do you need to go through before you can say, okay, I can absolutely trust this guy?
1: Right, yeah. No, so I you love start that getting, there yeah. are three of these. Yeah, like if there was just one, it would not have the same impact.
0: Yeah, and three is a very a biblical number. I think uh, uh Satan comes when Jesus fasts for 40 days to tempt him three times, mm. you know. So usually 3 is a completion. 3 is a success. 3 is overcoming. And warriors going to do 1 2 and 3 as if that's happening and we'll get to it when we get there, but the end of 3 is not is not what what it, we would think it should be for the ultimate warrior.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, We go on to the second one. Jake has Warrior sitting in a coffin. It's the same coffin that he was locked in before. Uh, Warrior, again, is snarling and kind of uh, acting strangely. Jake tells him, this is so great. He's like, this is how you can learn the ways of the Undertaker. You can walk the path of darkness and not fight it. But it's great because Warrior is very unsure about all this. And Jake just keeps saying, I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to fight you to make you do this. You have to make the choice. You have to trust me. And, God, the dynamic is so good, and it's setting up what we're going to see so well. I love it. It's wonderful stuff.
0: Yeah, you got Warrior, who is facing his greatest fear that he just went through, and Jake nonchalantly, if you don't want to, I got other things to do, and just walk, starts to walk off. Mm, yeah. And, Warrior, this is where I meant, like, I don't know if his, his simple-mindedness, his stupidity, but, like, <laughs> there's something vulnerable it's one time we're not being able to read The Ultimate Warrior, you can read the thing you want to read, and it makes it work very, very well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, I agree.
0: It's not the look of The Undertaker in the eyes, but that's the only critique I have, is I don't <laughs> know what
2: the look is. But.
1: Well, just more evidence that you shouldn't have uh, trusted him, I guess, because he, he told a lie, but, um, <laughs> ooh, all right, uh, we go to the third vignette, it's the big one. I love the set of this because like, it looks like they're underground. like I don't know if they're in a crypt or a tunnel or something, but there's this kind of locked-up room. Jake leads Warrior to this room. It's got a big window. He sends Warrior in there. It looks really cool. There's snakes everywhere, like all across the floor, hanging off the ceiling, hanging off the lights. It looks incredible. Jake tells Warrior he has to go into the middle and check. There's a casket there, and it will kind of show him the answers. Warrior makes his way there carefully, kinda kicking the snakes aside and uh, you know, dealing with his fear. Inside that casket is a cobra. The cobra strikes him. Warrior crashes back to the door. He wants out. Jake won't let him out. Jake is talking the whole time. And is he taunting him? Is he teaching him? It's not entirely clear. Warrior breaks out of the room, falls on the ground, looks up, and in one of the best, most cinematic moments of wrestling He sees Undertaker and Paul Bearer just as the music perfectly segues into Undertaker's theme. And we see from Ultimor's perspective, his vision is blurring. He raises his hand up to Jake. Jake says, oh yeah, reach your hand out to me. And then he bats it away. And he says, you trusted me, never trust a snake. If you've never seen this vignette. You must watch. You must watch these three vignettes all together, and you will see some of the greatest stuff that you will see in wrestling, in my opinion.
0: I agree. My goodness. It puts the turn in heel turn because the amount of trust that was there and then taken away. Jake tells us that at the beginning of this, this is the final piece of the puzzle, and these are great storytelling because you know, whether he is for Warrior or against Warrior, this is the final piece of the puzzle.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: and you said it like, the, the cinematic nature of this cannot be downplayed all of these but especially this last one it is beautiful and brilliant i can still see the boot of the undertaker that appears uh at warrior's hands and face as he crawls out from being bit by that snake and even jake leaning against the wall and undertaker there i'm still almost like has he turned or is this is it's just like how jake is, is this is part of the test like it's almost impossible to know that Jake turned because he lived so much uh, within that in-between line.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, and I can't stress enough how good it is, like to have warrior there and he's looking up at undertaker and paul bearer and jake roberts they're all together there just like this could have easily just been jake turned on him and like they're off in their own segmented place but the fact that taker and bearer here and you look up at these three faces and they're like these three evil faces in different ways it's like god i can't even articulate it i think but it's just so foundational to what makes wrestling of this kind good these stories good it's just perfect
0: yeah and i will throw in a, 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 the the wrench that maybe jake roberts was a baby face he wanted to be a baby face he tried harder than anyone maybe ever to help the ultimate warrior and he just got so frustrated by this guy's inability to learn after he did so much for him <laughs> because i'm watching this with the snakes biting him he's been buried alive he's been put in a casket and he's still gonna crawl around the arena vomiting when papa Shango does <laughs> voodoo that doesn't even work against bret hart so that means he learned nothing from this so maybe jake roberts is evil maybe he had this thing planned or maybe he was just so frustrated that i am giving you my best my man and you're not learning anything i don't know which one it is
1: Hey, if you could ally with The Ultimate Warrior or The Undertaker, I know
0: which one I would pick, so uh, you know, maybe it came down to that in the end. A lot
1: of factors here in this turn, which I greatly appreciate.
0: Can you imagine being bitten by a snake, being on your hands and knees, and looking up and realizing you're surrounded by Paul Bearer, The Undertaker, and a heel, Jake Roberts?
1: Oh man, I'd fill up my will right there, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have just witnessed one of the greatest stories of all time.
1: Mm, Yeah, we have. And it's funny... Because Warrior and Jake will never have matches over this. You know, they will never face each other in any form, I think. So it's almost the best case scenario, because I can't imagine these matches would have been good. Mm. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, we already talked, Jake is not really known for his in-ring ability. Warrior is Warrior, and he just kind of sucks all the time. So the fact that we got this beautiful story, and then Warrior will just be gone it's almost like the perfect way it could have worked out. So I don't know. It's weird, but it just sort of worked out perfectly there.
0: It did. And it's where has the most predictable offense Comeback three count. That's his entire career up until this point. So again, with those three tests, there's ultimate warrior only knows one way to come through that. And that is like beating his chest in victory at the end of it. So the fact that this went wrong and it's the ultimate warrior as is staggering how right every detail is about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, it just really works out perfectly. Ooh, All right, got to segue to our last bit, which is mostly uh, Randy Savage-centric. Some good stuff here as well. I will go quickly through this, uh, but we'll hit on the big stuff. Uh, there is a clip in here of Randy Savage slow dancing with Miss Elizabeth in the club on primetime in a special episode they had, which is very nice. And again, confuses me why he's so heelish after this, because it doesn't look heelish at all, but uh, it is what it is. We'll also see the full segment of uh, Liz and Savage and their uh, the proposal. And man, this is a beautiful segment, I got to say, because you'll see the reaction from the crowd, uh, from Savage, from Liz, from the way they do this he proposes in the ring and she says oh yeah fans are crying it's it's really kind of a beautiful moment like i really enjoyed this uh segment as well and i don't want to shortchange it it's just very good stuff
0: yeah there's roddy piper mocking the macho man for being tender as miss elizabeth calls him (laughs) there's a nice reversal of narratives because he has been so harsh and even though when he went through something we understand why he did what he did but he kind of went super I don't care about anything and punished Liz and I think he's being punished a little bit like he's going to have to let down that guard and admit there's something else in order for this to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Yes, the kind of overcome and come away from that uh that clenched fist attitude that he had Mm -hmm. for all those years. So it's nice. It's a very good reversal. You know, it's just such a well done segment and man, anytime you can get a reaction from fans like this, they're actually crying. They're so invested in what's happening, man, real stories, real motivations build on history. Like it's just yet again, the lesson that we learn time and time again.
0: It is. It's also, again, as I said, is rejoicing in the unlikely because it's unlikely and then being shocked a year later when it's over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Very good point. Um, all right, last going to talk about. Uh, I put the whole clip of this. You don't have to watch the little show if you don't want to. It's uh, kind of fun. It's kind of silly. It's uh, Randy Savage's Bachelor Party. And uh, a lot of this is kind of like Maybe that Nickelodeon thing like there's a gimmick where oh some like mental patients escape and they come to the party (laughs) and they act weird and at the end like the many white coats come but they can't tell the wrestlers apart from like the crazy people and uh, it's silly and it's fun but uh, for me I wanted to cover this for two reasons one because we get an amazing segment where alfred hayes Gene kerlin sean mooney bobby heaton and gorilla monsoon mm-hmm. are all just kind of hanging out together for a while which is beautiful and then there's a jake roberts thing towards the end so there's some very great stuff in here
0: yeah you find out that when the announcers are not announcing their other jobs to blow up balloons for segments so that's also <laughs> interesting
1: <laughs> yes i love this hayes Uh, Okerlund and and Mooney are there at the start blowing up balloons. Of course, Bobby Heenan was supposed to take care of this, but he he flaked out. And then I love because Monsoon drags in Bobby Heenan as the perfect guy to drag in Heenan, of course. And Heenan says, oh, I was at the Children's Hospital signing autographs all day. And of course, like, he's got a story about why he's actually the good one. Oh, it's great stuff. I love watching these guys interact. Like, they're all yelling at Heenan and they all kind of stop and then Hayes like throws a balloon at him. He's like, "Put your lips on that." <laughs> it's great. I just love these. All five of these guys. These are like the five non wrestling pillars of the WWF right now, and they're all just so so good at what they do.
0: Yeah, every one of them knows who they are. They know what their role is. They know how to play it. Uh, the man who drags Heenan in is the man who's going to drag him out of the building in WWF altogether. Mm. It's just all of it's amazing. I didn't take notes in part because it feels like if you took specific notes, you'd be like, Oh, well that's this or that's that. This is not something, this is something you sit back and you just enjoy the, the, the universe, the, 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 the the authenticity um, is silly at times, but it's also, it adds to that flavor. These folks really, they, they exist together beyond the ring and partly why they act the way they do in storylines is because they have to put up with each other all the time because they just exist in a universe and world together
1: yeah absolutely so if you do have time and you don't mind the silliness i do recommend watching this all because a lot of fun stuff happens uh, sherry shows up at one point and she has her words to say yep. maybe you can decide if she really loves savage or not i don't know did you watch that part
0: yeah i did i watched all of it
1: oh wow okay well you got to tell me that a little bit uh what thoughts did you have out of this episode
0: I think it's impossible with Sherry to know what is her feelings and what is her pride, and I don't know if she always knows the difference. So, I I think she showed up at least in her mind is like I'm just gonna make a statement on this because yeah, whether she cared about Savage or not, there is that feud with Elizabeth. Elizabeth kept involving herself, mm. uh, so I think that was interesting. I think I love Sean Mooney. Like yeah, I love Roddy Piper was good in this. Yep, of course Bobby Heenan was good in this. Oh. It's just the ongoingness. Like we, we've talked about this before. I love the ongoingness of it. I like that Vince McMahon's not there. I think he would have just kind of made it a little less. So <laughs> just fun, fun times. And then you know, Jake the Jake Roberts thing, which is really interesting as well.
1: I think it's very interesting. This is just before that third vignette that we're going to talk about. Wow. Jake Roberts, we'll learn that he is down in the lobby and there's some kind of commotion. We go down and we see... The guard is saying, like, I'm sorry, your name's not on the list. I can't let you in here. Jake is pissed. Bobby Heenan comes down. He begs off, of course. I love that he comes down the stairs, like grumbling. Then he sees it's Jake and he like stops and like skids on the floor a little bit. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't want <laughs> he doesn't want business from Jake. Nobody does, face or heel. Um, Jake is very bitter about this, and you gotta wonder, there's an implication somewhere in here that maybe the baby faces didn't want him there because they make him because they they uh, he makes them just a little bit uncomfortable with the way he is and the things he does and i think if jake needed any last uh confirmation that it's time to switch sides i think this was probably it
0: i believe that and i honestly i don't blame him
1: yeah yeah for sure
0: yeah if you're not wanted that's what people don't understand like if you let someone know they're not wanted they're not going to cease to exist they're going they're going to start existing somewhere else so it's Paul and the Undertaker, who's going to surround him. And then just remember that you didn't want to. So just prepare yourself for the things to come because they're coming.
1: Absolutely. We are right up on our time here. So uh, this is great. I hope you can check it out. Any last thoughts that you want to share, Mystic, on this or anything else we talked about?
0: Nah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Watch it, watch it, watch it.
1: All right. Yes, please do. Thank you for listening. Check out uh, Radio, LP Radio, lpforms.com WrestlingHeadlines.com, me on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. That is all we have time for. We'll be back in two weeks, not one, but two weeks for SummerSlam 1991. So check that out. That is a great show with a bad main event, as I recall. It'll be very interesting to get into that. Until then, Mystic, take us home.
0: Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite i mm-hmm.